time for the Breeders' Cup. Breeders' Cup Friday preview show on That's What G Said. Thanks so much for hanging out with us and tuning in to our Breeders' Cup Friday show. So let's set the scene a little bit for uh, how we are going to have content for the next couple days. On this episode, you'll get all of the Friday Breeders' Cup races discussed with a different guest. We really deep dive each of these races. We get into it from all aspects. We talk about every horse and basically every single race on each of the Breeders' Cup races. So on this episode, you'll have all the Friday stuff. Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint, which starts in race number six. We're going to have Barry Spears and Matt DeSantis talking about that one with us. Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies is race number seven on the Keeneland Friday card. Sarah Albadwi joins us to talk about that one. The Juvenile Phillies Turf will have Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali talking about race number eight with us. The ninth race is the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Scott Shapiro joins us to talk about the Juvenile. And the tenth race is the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. Angela Herman helps us out going through the runners in the juvenile turf. So all Friday on this episode, then we have two different episodes for Saturday. We have a Saturday Breeders' Cup Part 1 and a Saturday Breeders' Cup Part 2, and they're just in order. So Part 1 will have the Breeders' Cup races 3 through 9, and then Part 2 will have 9, 10, and 11 there. So Anything you need in all of the Breeders' Cup races over the next few days, we have taken care of. Now, if you're someone who's tuning in and you're listening to these races because you're a horse racing fan, maybe you haven't tuned in all that much, every week on these episodes, we cover much more than horse racing. This particular show will only be Breeders' Cup, but even this week on Thursday, we'll have another episode of That's What G Said where we cover NFL and we preview every single NFL game. If you hear the way I um, handicap the horse races and discuss racing, that is the same type of analysis that we put in for any type of our segments, any type of our deep dives, any type of the segments that we have, whether it's about horse racing, football, basketball, baseball, college football, if it's about Star Wars or Marvel, we recap shows and movies, the the recent Star Wars TV shows and movies, where we can find them on Disney+. Plus. Anything we're talking, we're going to give it a respect and a ton of analysis. We really want to help you make some money, and uh, we want to make sure that if you're tuning in and listening, that you're really gaining something from listening to this show. Now, this show is presented by our friends at BetterThan.Vegas. You can follow them on Twitter at BTVBets. Go give them a follow right now. It is a great source of information. A bunch of handicappers and gamblers all around the world that just share their information, their angles, their betting, their analysis. Just want to help you become a better better. And it's all free. It doesn't cost you anything. You can just follow along on Twitter and Watch the live streams, watch our free preview shows. I host a lot of shows over there for Better Than Vegas. Every Sunday, we have an NFL preview show at 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time, where we preview every Sunday NFL game with a couple different guests. At BTV Bets on Twitter, go give them a follow. When you're looking to handicap these Breeders' Cup races, 
Get on over to DRF.com for the daily racing form pass performances, a couple different packages available for you, the players package, the VIP package, or the Timeform US package. Each of them with some unique tools and features that you may like particularly, some of the things that you may use or that are important to you when you're doing your handicapping and you're doing your prep work and all your research for the big days. DRF.com, check out the DRF Breeders' Cup packages. I've already got mine. I'm always using the DRF Formulator past performances, and uh, I've spent hours diving into these DRF PPs to talk some Breeders' Cup with you. And let's get into our first Breeders' Cup conversation. We're going to go to race number six on Friday. So we have the five Breeders' Cup Juvenile races on Friday. The sixth race is the Juvenile Turf Sprint. We'll get to see all the young horses on Friday. And with it being a five-race Breeders' Cup, there will be a, a nice pick five that we can play starting in race number six that will conclude in the tenth race. All the exotic wagers you can possibly imagine. And I was very lucky to be joined by my good friends, Barry Spears and Matt DeSantis. These two join me every week on Friday morning at 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time for our show this weekend. 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time, excuse me, every Friday. This weekend in Stable Duel, 10 a.m. Eastern every Friday. We give out best bets for Friday and Saturday racing. And I get the chance to talk with these guys every week. They're a couple of my really good friends. They are great handicappers. We love to try to find prices any way that we can. And we will dive into the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint with Matt DeSantis and Barry Spears. Dodge Breeders' Cup time. It's time to get into the first of the Breeders' Cup races over the Friday and the Saturday. And uh, I had to get my buddies, Matt DeSantis and Barry Spears, together because we do our Friday live streams for this week in Stable Duel. This weekend in Stable Duel, I get to talk with my boys each week. It's one of my favorite parts of the week. So I figured let's keep everybody together and we can talk about two races instead of splitting them up. So we'll talk about the first, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint. We'll also talk about the main event in the Breeders' Cup Classic. And that way I was able to keep in the tradition with getting Ricky Henderson, the leadoff hitter, Barry (laughs) Spears. I think for three years in a row, he's been that leadoff for me. For all the big days, all the big races, we always got Ricky in here to get everybody going right off the bat. Sniper, how we doing, my man? Good, hanging in there. Maybe we can can connect this year and, and, and get one of these two races nailed. We almost had it last year, I think. I know. We were close. We were close. We were close, but we'll always take some big swings. Matt DeSantis. Matt, you have so much going on this year. Lots of content out there that I've seen. You've been doing a fantastic job. How's it going, buddy? It's going great. Love this time of year. It's so exciting. Love talking to you guys about this, and I love that we are the Alpha and the Omega uh, yes. in, the, uh, in the coverage of this, the first and the last. And I have to say, even if you had not suggested this idea, the juvenile turf sprint is oddly like one of the more exciting races, I think, in the entire weekend. So totally agree. Uh, love it this. It gets race. sort of laughed at because it's like the juvenile turf sprint, right? Just sort of saying it, you're, you know, it's like you have you have all these qualifiers. It's a big field. It's a good betting race, and you have some legit horses in here. It's a fun way to start 
the Breeders' Cup. So let's dive on into race number one, uh, race number one of the Breeders' Cup races. It's going to be the sixth race on Friday, and it'll kick off late pick fives and a lot of uh, really fun rolling exotics. So I think from a conversation standpoint, some of the horses that'll take the bulk of the action, you'll have Love Reigns, the number two for Wesley Ward, who is two for three and was a a winner at Saratoga back in August. They'll get a little bit of action and probably one of the, uh, one of the shorter prices, the platinum queen who ships in from Longchamp was a grade one winner, group one winner last time out. will take some money. I'd imagine speedboat beach will also take some support for Baffert. So from talking points, you know, we can, I guess, start with some of them as the top tier betting contenders, Matt, as some of those horses, are they on yeah. your radar? Who who are you kind of starting with from a starting point? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I I think both of us, or I think all of us, tend to approach it by looking at the favorites and then kind of starting to poke holes in yep. where there might be issues. I think when you look at a horse like the Platinum Queen, the, the outside draw may not particularly help. Now, granted, she's going to have a little bit of a runway uh, in this five and a half for a long sprint to, until they go into the first turn. But I think that's just the word turn is an important thing to point out that these European horses coming over their sprints are just straight lines. They don't deal with turns at all. So that's a race dynamic. That is a little bit different. Uh, Obviously some of the more well-known trainers, they, they know what they're going to be getting into with this, but it's just something to keep in mind. Platinum queen. One of the things you'll notice in the, if you're looking at the PPs and the past performances, she's never gone more than five furlongs. This is five and a half furlongs. She's going to probably be caught a little bit wide. So she's going to go a little bit further than that. Um, you know, she's run against tougher before. Absolutely. She's run against older mixed company. So she just beat, yeah, you're that. right. She beat older. She, so, and I agree with you. She's going to take money, but she does. She's not perfect. And she's not, and she's take not a at lot all. of money off of that race. I mean, she beat, she was a first two-year-old to win that race since 1978. The horses behind her on the wire were four, six, and four years old. So yeah. we're not even talking about three-year-olds. Like we're talking about much older seasoned horses. But yeah, she's she's not a cinch. No, by any she's, means. she's not a cinch at all. I don't like the post position, and I don't like the fact that she's stretching out. And and so I and she's a little bit of a grinder. And so I I, yeah. I just I don't really love that. So uh, for me, she was someone I I was going to look past. Uh, I, I do think the Wesley Ward horse, the number two, is an interesting horse. Uh, you know, he she ran well. Uh, I should say over in Ascot as well. I mean, she she ran fourth out of a field of twenty one. I mean, that was a good yeah. effort. Uh, that day lost to another horse that's in this race, actually, that I like quite a bit. We'll talk about later, dramatized. But, uh, you know, the other thing I like about her, she's starting from the number two hole. Her maiden win actually came from the inside rail at Keeneland in a sprint. And her win at Saratoga was coming out of the two hole. So she's got some experience winning from the inside, which I think is helpful for a young horse. I, I think she's a little bit more attractive at four to one. You're getting slightly better value, but she's going to get bet down because of that Wesley Ward connection. And the fact that he's just had a stranglehold on this race for quite a while. Barry, who are uh, some of the major players that are on your radar here? Well, I can tell you that I do not want the Platinum Queen. I, I think she's just up against it mm-hmm. in too many ways. You know, there's too many things going against her. To in this take a short for her price. To run well. Right. right? That's and, the and thing. She's if she's 10 to 1, we're having a different conversation. But exactly. totally agree with you. Like, the, I, I wouldn't be just, okay, it's the Platinum Queen and moving on. There are a lot of other horses. Ooh. What do we do with the Baffert horse, Speedboat Beach? Uh, that's another one that I am 
pretty much resigned to toss because me too. I don't think that horse really wants to turf. I mean, and I don't think he, <laughs> yeah. want, I think he kind of got the, it looked like five furlongs was just about pushing it, you know? And I think they tipped the hand because <laughs> this horse earned 104 buyer speed figure in winning a maiden race on the dirt. And they didn't even take a shot in another dirt prep after that. They didn't even try to go in you know, one of the races at Santa Anita to prep for this even lo longer at all. They didn't go any, I think it, it really showed you that this horse doesn't get, want to get very much distance. And I don't, that was a big step down as far as figures are concerned. He kind of fell right into it. I, I'm a little cold on him too, Barry. Matt, yeah. Matt do you have any thoughts on speedboat? Yeah. Speedboat. I, I think like you all were saying, I don't think he wants the turf. I think it is telling that they pushed him this direction to get him into the breeders cup. Uh, I, I, I'm kind of all the way out on this horse. Yeah. So, uh, for me that, that actually makes things quite easy. If you can look past the three biggest favorites and then right? suddenly this race opens up and you have a lot of really big prices and great horses and really trusted connections coming in. I, I think in that kind of eight to one, 10 to one, 15 to one range. One horse that is a must use for me, uh, no doubt on my tickets is going to be mischief magic. Um, the number five mm -hmm. in here. Um, I, I think he will come rolling with the right type of setup. And I think he's a horse yes. that, right. Yes. Like he, he yes. will get some pace to run <laughs> at in here. Um, he was at the back, he was behind horses and he started new market last time out. He shifts to the outside and it was a pretty good fourth. Once he got in the clear Barry, you seem like you think he's got a shot in here too. That's, this is the horse that I like in this race. Um, yep. he has a wicked turn of foot that I think will be aided by the turn um his race in newmarket uh back in august if you see that replay it looks like an american uh you know turf sprint mm -hmm. the way he finished up blew by everybody and another key is he doesn't really need to be too far off it no you're right and still have, have that back. i mean he's shown that you know his his uh maiden stakes win at goodwood in july he was pretty much on the pace the whole way and you know obviously it's a maiden race and and you know if they're better horses they're probably going to be a little bit speedier but he he you know the the time was actually pretty good mm -hmm. and he finished up very very strongly did the same thing at kempton on the synthetic in the group three um and I think that last race at Newmarket is a perfect prep for this one, even though he got beat by Persian Force, who I think is probably going to get a lot more action than expected here. I, I actually think Persian Force is going to get bet more than Mischief Magic. Because um, of those Blackbeard races. Said, right, right. You yes. see the Blackbeard multiple races and people might just bet the one closest 15 to, to 1 seemed a little high. You yeah. Know, uh, and and you know especially when you have a horse let's say um private creed who doesn't look all that great but he's 12 to 1 in the more line and you know persian force is 15 that doesn't make any sense and and it's probably not going to be bet that way mm -hmm. um but yeah I'm, I'm excited about mischief magic i i think he has a really really good chance in this race especially with the speed coming from the outside he could fall into a good trip swing out wide and, and run them all down uh, Matt, uh, Applebee's okay in these greatest stakes races. <laughs> Just a little bit. In that's North, that's the North thing North. that I think it's it's important for us to remember is Charlie Applebee is first career six for eleven, winning at a fifty four percent clip at the Breeders' Cup. 
mean, it's just yeah. surreal. I mean, the next closest, just to put this into some context, the next closest trainer to him right now is Brad Cox, who's winning at an astonishing 31% clip. So, I mean, there's a 23-point gap between those two guys. <laughs> I mean, Appleby is just so good here. You, he has his number one rider, William Buick, up. Uh, Mischief Magic was also the horse that I circled as, as my top pick in this race. That means the price is he's probably going to be the, second choice. The La <laughs> Professor but, Lock of the Week. Here yeah, we go. I, I think when you just when you combine all the things we Barry just said, I mean, really good has been keeping great company. Has been uh, you know is is a great price, great connections. Godolphin owned and bred. The other thing to point out, especially with all these European horses, but particularly with Mischief Magic and even Persian Force pay attention to how much weight they carry over in Europe as opposed to what they're going to be carrying here. Pounds. Yeah. yeah. I mean, three races back, 136. I mean, this horse is going to be carrying 14 pounds less in this race than he did winning a class four novice stakes over at Newmarket. So, you know, that's a big difference. I mean, I'm not one to harp on how much, you know, weight is being carried, but when it's 14 pounds, that's notable. Um, and so I, I, I do like mischief magic quite a bit. One horse that I think will be included on mine, um, is the number four dramatized. This is a horse that actually beat uh, the Platinum Queen in his second race out, had a little bit of a layoff, came back, finished fifth. But the fact that Carl Burke, who's a really good trainer over in England, is bringing this horse over, getting Ryan Moore up 15 to one. I think you'll get every penny of that, if not more, uh, just because this horse doesn't have many running lines to go to. This is a horse that Burke, I heard him give an interview after that race at Ascot. This is a horse that he is very high on. Uh, and that was, you know, winning the Queen Mary in a 21 horse field uh, as the favorite, mind you, I think is particularly notable. This horse has been the favorite in all three of his races. I think you might be able to cross that last one out. Yeah, and uh, she, that, that's a horse I like. She ran well in that race, too. Honestly, she was fast yeah. early. She was right on the lead from the inside with a couple others that were all pushing. And she was still battling on the lead with about a half of a furlong left to go. I think it just was a bit too much. This cutback could be great for her. She might really enjoy turning back a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I would include um, dramatized in, in some of your exotics. The horse that I, I liked before when the pre-entries were out, but then after the draw, I'm a little colder on is the one lady Hollywood. Like mm. I wanted to get lady Hollywood into some exotics, but now with the rail draw in this type of a race, with speed that she's not really seen, like she's not seen the type of speed that some of these U S horses are going to have in a turf sprint like this. So I think because she drew the rail, I'm a little colder on her sniper. Um, talk to us about any others in here who might be uh, on your radar or that you're yeah, looking at using. Um, one horse that I did kind of um, take a really long look at is sharp as a tech. Ah, oh, I'm mm -hmm. glad you mentioned yeah. this one. Yes. Go ahead. Um, I, I think this horse showed a little bit of a better dimension um, and improvement, even though, you know, the buyer speed figure doesn't isn't all that impressive in the last race at Kentucky Downs. Um, I think that's that's just a measure of that course and and, you know, how they run and, and totally agree. The, the inexperienced horses. Weird. Yeah. So the and, times equal the buyers. And so sometimes those buyers come up a little bit low. But the, the fact that this horse didn't go to the lead ran well and just got nipped late says a lot to me and i think you know um fractional wise this horse is as fast as anybody in here yep 
-hmm. And I, I think this one might get dismissed. I think this horse is going to go well over that 15 to one um, morning line. And I, and I think rates are pretty good shot because, you know, you figure in a horse like the wild card, Tyler's tribe, nobody's ever been close to that horse. And then you have speedboat beach who's just all out. Yeah. Then you have horses like Oxymore who kind of wanted to, to rate going longer but I don't see how they can actually try those tactics and not go at least forward um, in this race. And, you know, I, I just think that Mischief Magic and Sharp as Attack might get similar trips. Th and this it's horse. It's a, a matter of who's better at the end and who finishes stronger. Yeah, my notes were kind of similar. Uh, last out at Kentucky, got to the lead, but was taken back to second, but was headed. And so they backed up to second. They tracked from about a length off, moved to the outside to the two path, back to the lead, was in front late in the stretch. But the six and a half was just a little bit too far. That's not only six and a half. That's six and a half at Kentucky. Right, on now, a hill. Yeah, going up to seven. <laughs> which is like a deep, undulating type turf course. That's a tough six and a half to get. Matt, it sounded like you weren't all that cold on this horse either. No, not cold on this horse at all. And, and one of the things that impresses me about Sharpa's attack is Look at the running line. You rarely see an American turf horse go from Santa Anita to Monmouth to Kentucky Downs to Keeneland. I mean, this is right. this horse is racking up frequent flyer miles. I like that in that this horse has shown that he can run over multiple surfaces, which is Absolutely. always something that I, I'm concerned with with young horses where you just see they've only run on the West Coast. They've only run in Kentucky. They've only run on the East Coast, you know, and, and you just go, well, how are they going to, you know, it, it's more important for turf than on dirt because you just never know how they take to that. The fact that Sharpa's attacks brought his A game to three straight races on three different surfaces and particularly one as unique as Kentucky Downs at 15 to one, this feels like a nice horse to use underneath, uh, I think, in this spot. Sounds like uh, lots of similarities for the three of us in this one. For me, definitely the five mischief magic all over the place. I will absolutely be including the nine who we just mentioned sharp as attack. I'll throw in the six Persian. Mm -hmm. um, I'll throw Persian in the six force. Persian force yeah. who Barry was mentioning a little bit earlier too, who I think will get bet more, but has some strong credentials. This is a horse who's never run a bad race in those seven races. Yep. All of them have been in the money uh, back to back in the top three behind Blackbeard, tracking in second, like moving to like moving to the lead, tried to, what I loved about Persian force last time out, they didn't run for second. You know, sometimes when you face really nice horses, you see horses that just kind of plot up or they, they finished second, but they never were going to win the race. This horse took a shot. They tried to win the race, which I really yeah. like. Um, and then he ended up fading to third. So while he finished third in his last start, he was probably second best in that race because he was in it to win it. Um, he'll be in the mix for me. Sniper, any other horses in here you want to mention worth mentioning? Um, no, I, I, I think we caught them all. I, I mean, it, it's tough because I, I do want to like the one. I know, I do. Is, it's, it's just, just it's such just a killer. There. Yeah, she, it, she's going to have to swing all the way around because she's not fast enough to keep up early. No, and you know, she's won four of her last five. She's won... Uh, she was close up in between with the group of four. She was kind of battling for the lead and she pushed through visually. I, I like her races, but the rail is just going to be really, That's really tough. Yeah. The yeah. inside outside, you know, I, I just don't like either of those horses. So, you know, I was thinking four, five, six, and nine um, with a, 
you know, leaning on the five. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, uh, talk to us, give us some, uh, some final thoughts to put a bow on the juvenile turf sprint. Yeah. I, I also kind of think this race goes through the Europeans to some extent. I, I have uh five, four, six, nine, uh, but I will be honest with you. The horse that I am going to be most interested in watching in this race is one we barely touched on, which is the 10 Tyler's tribe. Totally agree. This horse before. He's a wild uh, card, man. He's, he's, a, he's, cool. he's a wild card. He's a horse that I think you just find yourself rooting for. He's, he's just freakishly fast. He's been running at Prairie Meadows, this kind of under the radar horse. And, and it's just too bad to some extent that the Breeders' Cup doesn't have a dirt sprint. I was just uh, going to say, I'd like love this. to see him in a, in a juvenile sprint on the dirt or like, because what I was thinking, man, how much more, I don't, and who knows how the juvenile plays out, but sure. this horse in there with Cave Rock would oh, have yeah. just, right? It would have made the race seem different in our heads trying to play out like, wow, this yeah, they, horse is. They getting- need to bring that race back because, right? um, you know, I think they, they pulled it because they didn't really have a division for it. But now, um, you know, most most of these horses, two year olds, they they don't really want to go long. I completely, that yeah. that's a race. You, <laughs> you can know, fill that race. You can, I'm not, you can fill that race and get. You know, you can put it six and a half, and, he, he and it is, would be fine. He is six. cool. Tyler's tribe. He's never been headed. He's never been tested. I mean, yeah. he's won all of his races so easily. You have no idea how good a horse like this yeah. is. And and he's in here for the distance more so than for the turf, right? It's not he like he's I mean, a, a turf monster. No, he's not. And the sharp Azteca has some decent turf influence, but he's, you know, the one thing that I love, Tim Martin, his trainer talked about this. This horse has to work out by himself because he gets mad when other horses run <laughs> next to him. Like legitimately, he's like, I can't work him out next to anybody. Like he's a weird horse to work because he's got to be alone. He's got to be off by himself because he takes it personally He'll when another horse fast. tries to get past him. So that's why I'm so interested to see like what happens. Like how mad does this horse get? Uh, I, I hope he's when not like a next to him. forensic fire and try to bite. Someone. A little savage action. <laughs> a little savage, a macho yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> Tyler's tribe, a really cool horse. Five for five, multiple stakes winner, the Iowa bred. He'll try turf for the first time. We'll see if he can take to it. We'll see if he can push the pace on it. If he shows... If he shows the same type of speed, he is going to at least make this race a very, very fast and honest pace and like mm-hmm. kind of make it what we're hoping, right? Yeah. We're like, we're looking for for a little bit of chaos and maybe horses to come from not way out of it, but just a little bit off of it, right? A- like, absolutely. Um, the sixth race on Friday is the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint. So this week... We will not have a Friday uh, stream for this weekend in Stable Duel, but every single weekend on Friday morning, you can catch Matt DeSantis and Barry Spears and myself, 10 o'clock a.m. every Friday, uh, 7 a.m. Pacific time. We get you all set up for the weekend with Stable Duel contest details. We tell you what the games they have, what tracks they have, and then we dish out best bets for the weekend in the no chalk zone. But this weekend, a major focus on the Breeders' Cup. Fellas, We're going to shift over in a second and we're going to record Breeders' Cup Classic Talk. So for everyone who's listening to this, you're actually going to hear what's uh, up next on the Friday card. You're going to hear race number seven, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies with Sarah El Badwi. But you'll hear these voices again one more time because the Sniper and Matt are pulling double duty. We're going to talk some Breeders' Cup Classic next. So a lot of agreement here on Mischief Magic as a major player. Mischief Magic. For myself, for the sniper, also for Matt. 
the others that we're looking at in here. I thought the nine sharp as attack as a price play was also fun. I'm probably a little a little bit more okay on the platinum queen than than Matt and Barry. I, I probably would use her in an exotic spot or two. Not really high on speedboat beach though. Totally okay with trying to beat her. If you wanted to include a horse like the six Persian force, really wouldn't talk you off a Persian force there. And I don't have a problem with dramatized either. But I'm looking at Mischief Magic as top selection in the juvenile turf sprint. So that's race number six. We'll move to the seventh in just a moment. But we wanted to let all of you know about one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, full-service realtor Cindy Carava. Now, that means as a full-service realtor, she can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing, with anything in the world of real estate. Go to her website right now, cindycarava.com, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. Now, she can connect you to the right type of vendors if you need help for home improvement, gardeners, landscapers, painters, all sorts of great folks that she's worked with and has experience working with in her own homes. If you need help with the the loan process, getting pre-approved, she'll connect you with the right type of lender that will make that process much easier for you. And honestly, she's just really nice. She's kind. She's genuine. She wants to help make your life easier and Cindy Carava will take care of all of those stressful things with moving, with relocating, with trying to find a new home. If you're just curious to see how much your home is worth, she'll do a free market analysis of your home's value. C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A dot com. We move to race number seven. It's the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. From HR Nation, Sarah L. Bodwi joins us to talk about the seventh race and all the Phillies in race number seven, the Juvenile Phillies on the Friday Breeders' Cup card at Keeneland. The Breeders' Cup Friday card rolls on. We're talking all about the juveniles, and now we dive into the juvenile fillies. Very happy to have one of our good friends join us, Sarah Albadwi, who's been on the podcast before, and I actually just talked with Sarah for the Horse Racing Nation Breeders' Cup preview. We talked about the juvenile turf. Now we get to talk about the juvenile fillies here. Sarah, I know everybody's busy. You're recording and setting up all these different things. Thanks so much for hanging out. Of course, just here to return the favor after uh, you helped me out, which I appreciate for HRN. So happy to talk some Breeders' Cup with you. Well, uh, we are going to look at the juvenile fillies for Friday. Now, anyone who's listening to this and you're playing the Breeders' Cup, make sure you check out that Horse Racing Nation preview and make sure to check out all of the stuff that Sarah has on Twitter. You can give her a follow uh, right there, as you can see below because they do a great, great, great job, and they have a lot of good guests joining them too. So I think right now you want to be a sponge. Try to listen to as much information. And and the one thing I, I always point out is the way you listen to information and the way you take information from these shows is important because I love to listen to everyone, but I'm not necessarily going to completely change my opinion. But if I'm listening to something that you've said, for example – and there's a horse that you mentioned that was not on my radar. And I look down, this horse is like 10 to one or 15 to one. Those are horses. That's how I'm always looking at shows like this for what are you going to say that I, that I may not have? That's not on my radar. It's not necessarily always, I felt this way. That person felt different. I'm going to change my whole opinion, but I think you can really take something from a lot of these shows that you'll be listening to over the next week or so. Cause there's some really sharp folks and 
sometimes it's like handicapping the handicappers, right? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I think that um, just filtering the information you're processing is such a skill to make sure that you're you're absorbing as much as you absolutely can, like that sponge that you mentioned, because there's so many ideas and great opinions out there, but also really sticking true to what you know and understanding um, what your strengths and weaknesses are and, and not abandoning your, your gut instinct and your serious opinion on different races as well, because I think sometimes the amount of information can just be so overwhelming. So to, to kind of find that balance of hearing everybody out and, and taking bits and pieces from from their great opinions or maybe horses that you want to fade based on their opinions and also balancing your own opinion we're looking at the daily racing form drf past performances uh, you can check these out and if you need any help all weekend long this these are the great past performances all sorts of packages you can purchase with time form us stuff uh, other selections I, i'm a big fan of the formulator and uh, we will dive right on in to the juvenile Phillies, which is going to go as race number seven on Friday. Sarah, one of the most wide open of any of the Breeders' Cup races. In fact, we have a lukewarm seven to two morning line favorite in chocolate gelato. And there probably will be four or five horses that are all in this to like six to one range. Right. I think a lot of it's going to be the Todd Pletcher, Irad Ortiz, Rapoli stable um, trifecta here that people yeah. are going to gravitate towards with this horse being your very slight favorite in a field like this. Um, your Frizette winner. So she's already a grade one winner. Obviously, that's a race that we've seen be very productive in producing Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies winners. She won that in the slop last time out at Belmont at the Big A. I'm trying to beat this horse. Me too. I I, def, I agree. I, I when when a horse has their best like so when they when they have their best win like she had in like a front on the lead situation where she opens up and she came back in her next start she had a different sort of trip. Her figure was much lower. It regressed. It was on a sloppy track, so it's sort of hard to gauge. But I I just don't know a whole lot about her. Right, I don't. I don't feel like I know who she is right now for her to be the favorite in this spot. I, I kind of feel the others are a little bit more proven, which sounds weird. I, She's a Grade One winner, but that that Grade One win was in the slop, you know. And also, who was she really beating in there? I I hate seeing a high figure. And then a regression next yep. time out going into a big race like the Breeders' Cup, especially for these younger horses. You want to you want them to be growing and developing and, and progressively improving in their speed figures. And maybe it was the off track last time. And I get why people might make that the the reason why she didn't run the same 92 that she did second time out in breaking her maiden. But I wonder if there's another reason and if that reason is the distance because yep. she is a practical joke and we don't see a ton of practical jokes have a lot of success going around of ground. I'm in complete agreement with you here. I'm a little cold on chocolate gelato. So if we're looking at others I in see here, you might say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, for looking at others in here, who are some of the others that are on your radar? Uh, well, Gino, I'm glad that you picked this race because I'm going to do something stupid in here nice. <laughs> with the horse that I'm picking, but at least it will be a price. Um, I can't get over American Rocket. <laughs> and 
I picked her on debut just on looks alone when she won in that off the turf race going the five and a half furlongs at Saratoga. And you don't see horses win like she did coming from that far back, taking kickback, which there was a lot of talk this summer about how the kickback was really negatively impacting horses that were coming from off the pace at Saratoga because it was um, so, I don't want to say, I guess dense is maybe the word that we're looking for and really yeah. taking those horses that were trying to make moves that were into other horses that were ahead of them. And just the way that she did that was ultra impressive now i understand if you're like well she was intended for the turf but she is a half to frank's rocket who we are going to see in the breeders cup philly and mare sprint so i don't see any problem with her being able to handle the dirt and she certainly did handle it to get that win at yep. saratoga i picked her next time in the spin away also grade one race and that race, I mean, she's post 10, so she's drawn all the way to the outside. And I know that you've watched it. She it was just awesome. Breaks. It was awesome. Like after that <laughs> brutal trip, I, it's one of those races where after that start, you just sort of write the horse off. You're like, oh, they're mm -hmm. done. They're just going to back up and like be eased out of the race. Yeah. You shred your tickets. You're like, that's it. There's no way. I mean, she just took a turn right at the start of that race. And she stayed out in the middle of the track for most of it. And you just see her kind of get back in touch with the field, get into stride a little bit. And the move that she makes to be fourth, I mean, after that break, that very impressive. Imagine if she broke, she would have won. I mean, you, you huge, cannot convince me that she wasn't Galibau. winning that race. Um, I have no problems with her. I actually had her fourth, like as a horse in my selections as like a horse that I would throw into some exotics and definitely underneath. And, and hearing, you know, your confidence in her, I will uh, upgrade her a little bit too and throw her into a couple other exotic tickets because th this is a horse that's going to be 20 to one in a race like this, where she's not overwhelmed by the rest of this field if you eliminate chocolate gelato's figure on this uh, um the maiden win sprinting nobody else has like crazy high speed figures in here it's not like she's way way out of touch with the rest of this group i would have no problem throwing her in at a very very big price american rocket the number 11 bill mott and american rocket the West Coast horses, and you know what's funny? When you were talking about um, chocolate gelato a little bit, I agreed with you because I didn't like the horses who were second and third in that race, but I did like American Rocket better at fourth because I felt like you could make a little bit more of an excuse for American Rocket in that spot. So we're against gelato. What do we think of the horses coming out of the Alcibiades where we had Wonder Wheel, Chop Chop, and Raging Sea as the top three in there? Well, I think we have to take them seriously for their success that they've had at Keeneland and on numbers as well. I mean, they're not no. too far off of some of these other horses and they no. certainly fit figures wise. Wonder Wheel, um, you know, she's only run one bad race and that was no. the one where uh, it was the spin away and she finished second to leave no trace. And I, I feel like this is a horse that her trainer really thinks a lot of her. Um, this is a uh, kind of like more of that highly touted horse and then breaking from the rail last time in the Alcibiades. The rail is kind of the inside positions or the place that you want to be in these drought races at Keeneland. And I feel like there's no reason not to think that she's a legitimate contender once again. I mean, she's, you know, 
three wins, one second and four starts. There's, there's nothing really not to like about this horse. And I think five to one, if we get anywhere near that is a fair enough price on a horse that's really done nothing wrong and has shown that they do appreciate a, the distance and B the surface. I agree. I think that was a strong race. I really don't have a problem with any of the three of them. I, I, I have a wonder wheel on a fantasy league that I'm in. I really like this Philly. I'm a personal fan of hers. I thought that chop chop, ran really well and proved that she's fine on the dirt in that race. I thought she was a really good second in there. And even Raging C, who I said was third, crossed the wire third, but was DQ'd and placed fourth. That was the first start in a couple months. That was going, you know, a mile and a 16th. I didn't think that was a bad effort. He was sort of, or she was sort of looking for a way to go. She tried to push herself off the rail and she got DQ'd for that, but she ended up getting shuffled back too. I, I wouldn't, talk anyone off of those runners i thought that was a strong prep and in just looking at this i wouldn't i wouldn't have a, an issue with any of the three of them in in exotics and pick fours and pick fives right i think chop chop has shown that she can definitely handle this surface with her uh effort last time out trying the dirt for the first time i know there's a little commotion and traffic and all that kind of behind wonder wheel um chetra's taking out of here and going to run in the juvenile Phillies turf instead, which I think is probably her preferred service, though she certainly yeah. didn't disgrace herself on the dirt. Um, and then Raging Sea, you know, I really wanted to like this horse, but just post position and, and look, yeah, similar price range. I just, I was more inclined to go with the ones that got a more favorable draw. Yeah, Raging Sea is going to really have to try to work out a trip from out there in post 14. Um, let's see any others worth mentioning. I wasn't sure what to do with the nine. That's the Asmussen grand love here. Uh, grand love was very impressive in that debut and then stretched out and was cruising on the front end. And when they, when she got challenged, she just had no response. They ran right by her. You could sort of read into that. Steve Asmussen thinks pretty highly of her too. Like he thinks she's going to run better than that in reading into some of his quotes and comments, kind of like what you were talking about with Cassie. Sometimes you can hear from the trainers and you can, they tip their hand a little bit on, on the horses that they like. I'm, I don't know if I'm ready to give up on her. I don't know if this is the spot for her. What do you think about grand love or do you use her at all? I mean, the Pocahontas and the Iroquois, I feel like those were both kind of weird races and I, I don't really know what to do with them going forwards. And it's strange because I was actually there in person for those races. And we've seen some horses come out of that race that didn't really run that what that well in either of them and go on to improve um a horse like confidence game who finished fifth in the iroquois came back to finish second at a little bit of a price now against lesser company not a breeder's cup type of race but still um we saw someone come out of the pocahontas whose name i'm gonna forget who was post 12 that i actually picked in the pocahontas she came back and she romped at keeneland um friendly, friendly persuasion. persuasion there yeah. we go yep. um so i actually picked her in this race and then she came back and she won um fun and feisty though the winner has come back and not really run that well so no, i don't right. really know what to do with this race um i think that obviously the winningest trainer in north america is not just throwing his horses in spots willy-nilly thinking that they have no shot and anything close to that 84 buyer on debut that's better than the frisette for chocolate gelato so yeah I wouldn't be opposed to anyone taking a shot with this one for, um, for Steve and uh, for, for Florent, Florent Drew, um, tripping over my word there. But 
again, I just, um, I don't feel like I've seen enough to I fully agree. trust this horse when I like some others, uh, to blow things up. Yeah, I, I agree. We, uh, we continue through this field. We've got through most of these shoplifter and leave no trace. We kind of talked about them in, like, I didn't think much of leave no trace in the Frisette. I thought you're, I thought the horse that you like was better and chocolate gelato was better. And I, I just wasn't all that high on those two. Um, who else in, in here is worth mentioning or we haven't hit on that you want to talk about? We I on feel a lot like, of these. I know. I feel like the ultimate wise guy horse, we still haven't talked about though. And that's going to be atomically. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people will gravitate towards this one for Eclipse Thoroughbred Partners because of the trainer change going to Todd Pletcher, um, has had success at Gulfstream Park and is now kind of taking on um, serious competition up here at Keeneland. Louis Sias is going to ride. And I mean, again, figures, if you're a figures player, which I know that you and I are, it's not everything, but it's something that we definitely look at in 83 fits with a group like this and yeah. 12 to 1. Certainly look, looks nice as well if you get anywhere near that. I, I kind of question how good is this horse really, but I think if you're looking for the trainer to take you there, it's, I mean, I have no problems with it being Todd Pletcher. Yeah, price would dictate a play on this horse too. If she was double-digit odds, that is probably fair. You wouldn't really want her if she got bet down in like the six-ish range because I want to see her prove it at a price, but I agree with you. She's absolutely one worth mentioning. I played against the the three uh, and tell me no lies a couple times in a row. A lot of people did. She just doesn't get bet, but she's been really honest. Um, she's won three consecutive races, but I still think I'm going to probably be a little cold on her again. I don't know. I'm just sort of treating the Keeneland race like it was the better of the prep races here. She's I'm a little cold on her. Um, I don't know. Do you like and tell me no lies at all or anyone else in this field? Um, I think she deserves some respect as far as uh, her success over in California. I wouldn't be totally opposed if someone told me this grandiose tale of why they thought that she had a chance to win or hit the board in a spot like this. Uh, she's been very consistent over there. I feel as though the field that she's facing in here is tougher than anything she's faced yeah. before. And I think that the East Coast form, as far as these two-year-old Philly races has been, has been a little bit tougher than what she's seen out there. The Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies race number seven on Friday, a field of 14 lining up, and Sarah came swinging with a 20-to-1 shot to dish out for us in American Rocket. And we both feel like the, the Keeneland prep, probably one of the stronger of the prep races here for a lot of these horses if you're looking to use horses in exotics. Give us some final thoughts on the Juvenile Phillies here, Sarah. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing this race live. It'll be my first Breeders' Cup that I actually go to. Awesome. Um, cool. American Rockette's a little bit of a pet, but I can make enough of an excuse for her. And like we were talking about with Chocolate Gelato, where we don't really know who she is, at least I've seen American Rockette overcome something in her very short career. And that goes a long way in my book for a juvenile. Sarah, we will give you a follow on social media. And uh, you are an excellent handicapper and you're you're just a great ambassador for the sport. You interact with all the folks out there. You're always uh, very positive when it needs to be, but when it, the, there needs to be a little negativity, you'll give it too, because not everything needs to be positive. Sometimes people need to get a little bit of it right back. Um, you have fun you, and over there and you, uh, you just get it. I think whatever the it is, you get it. You do a great job. I always love watching your content there. And uh, I really appreciate you taking some time to hang out with us. Of course, you know, thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure to chat with you and I appreciate the kind words.
Well, good luck and have fun out there at the Breeders' Cup this week. Make sure to make some money, and we'll be following along with you and everyone else over there at HR Nation. Give Sarah a follow on social media there at Outrun the Odds and check out all the great content that she does over at HR Nation. Stay tuned, folks. The big train rolls on. We move from race number seven on Friday to race number eight. So we'll talk Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies Turf next. Don't go anywhere. Great catching up with Sarah there. Just a little quick recap of some of the selections for me. Sarah liked the 11 American Rockhead at a big price. I like Chop Chop quite a bit. I, I thought that was a really nice effort from Chop Chop. I think the Alcibiades was a strong race. I'm a little worried about Raging Sea now with post 14 out there. The you know I don't really have a problem with Wonder Where. I, I think she fits pretty well. Or Wonder Wheel, excuse me. I think she fits pretty well in here. The Horse who I wasn't quite sure what to do with was the nine grand love. Who I'll probably throw into um, some exotics here and there and tell me no lies. I felt was probably a cut below, but she just keeps answering all the uh, the questions. So I'll use the seven on as my top selection. Thought the five and the nine were also must use players in here. And even with the post, I'll probably include the fourteen in uh, in some of those spots. Raging sea. A little cold on chocolate gelato. That's race number seven. We're going to move to race number eight in just a moment. Before we do, let's dive into the stable duel schedule for this week. If you're listening to this, you're a horse racing fan. You need to be signed up for stable duel with the stable duel account. It's free to sign up. You only pay for the contest that you want to enter. And sometimes they have free contest with cash prizes back. Stable Duel is daily horse racing contest. If you've ever played like DFS for football or, you know, in fantasy football, like a, a DraftKings or a FanDuel style where they have a salary cap format. So that means you can't just pick the favorite in every race. You're forced to get a little bit creative. And Stable Duel is built off of morning lines. If you're someone who thinks you find, you know, horses that are going to get bet down, you find bad morning lines, you will really do well in Stable Duel. Lots of options for you to play this week. So on Thursday, you could play a game at Delaware, at Woodbine, or at Charlestown. There's a Delaware game that's a $5 entry. Woodbine has a $25 entry. Charlestown with a $50 entry. On Friday, while you're watching the Breeders' Cup, why don't you enter a contest at Gulfstream Park or at Santa Anita? There's a $150 double-up game, or there's a $3 game at Gulfstream if you just want a little bit of action to toss in while you're watching and playing the races. Saturday, Gulfstream and Santa Anita have games, and then Sunday, Gulfstream, Laurel Park, and Santa Anita, all with games. Stable Duel. Get those entries in and play race win every Friday morning, 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time, this weekend in Stable Duel with myself, Matt DeSantis, Barry Spears, getting you all set up for big weekend races and dishing out a bunch of prices. It's the No Chalk Zone every Friday morning. Time to talk Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies Turf. Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali join me on this show all the time to talk old wrestling rewatch, to talk uh, about wrestling stuff going on now, anything happening in the world of horse racing. They've helped me out with anything I've ever needed, and both are really nice handicappers and uh, and sharp horse players. So Andrew and Darren helped me go race uh, go through this race horse by horse, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies Turf, race number eight.
Raiders Cup Friday rolls on Had to enlist the services A couple of my buddies to help out With the tough race, race number 8 It's the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies Turf Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali Help me on on this show all the time Talking old wrestling rewatch Talking football stuff Talking horse racing stuff Anytime I need help with anything They're both there to to help out And now we're going to dive in to some Breeders' Cup racing Don't even want to shortchange Darren He's helped me out with Star Wars and with Andor before A little bit of everything a fun race to discuss on a really cool weekend Darren, you're actually going to be heading out to the, the Breeders' Cup live As we record this on Tuesday night So we're still a few days out from uh, from the Friday-Saturday Yeah, looking forward to getting back out to Keeneland uh, It'll be my first time out there since uh, since the, uh, the COVID pandemic So I'm definitely looking forward to getting back out to the Bluegrass uh, Getting back to the Breeders' Cup I mean, it's always a thrill to be there in person I I'd be honest with you, you know, if I wasn't going for work, I I would probably be just as content sitting in my office watching these races Mm -hmm. with my feet up on a desk. But, you know, every once in a while, it's certainly good to uh, to take in one of these, you know, championship events in in racing. And and it's certainly for, you know, the listeners out there, if you have not been to a Breeders' Cup, I I would definitely make it a point to, to get to one at some point because, well, it's not something you need to do necessarily every year. Uh, it, it is definitely uh, worth your while to 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 be involved in in a in a great weekend of racing and certainly a great atmosphere. Really cool bucket list uh, thing to to check off at least uh, at least once or twice and take it in. Andrew, buddy, I'm sure on a big week like this, you have a, a lot of content coming up. I saw you doing some more stuff for uh, on the wrong lead. I actually had Caleb Knight join me to talk a little bit about the. Breeders' Cup mile on the turf for Saturday. They have a good crew over there. What kind of stuff do you have headed up this week? A whole bunch of stuff. In fact, after we record this, I'm headed over to record Drank and Champagne. Cheap plug for a victory <laughs> laugh. My buddy Josh Rodriguez, the co-host of that show, last week gave out a winning pick six ticket at Keeneland, and the way he played it, he wound up cashing for about $13,000. So hopefully he's taking about a night. It's going to be a lot of fun uh, giving him his just due and going through uh, some of the big plays for Friday and Saturday. And I completely agree with Darren. If you haven't been to a Breeders' Cup, go. I've been lucky enough to go to four. I went to one at Belmont in the mid-2000s. That was 2005. I worked several of them at Santa Anita. The last one that I went to was Beholder versus Songbird in the Breeders' Cup Distaff. That's a really, really, really tough act for anything else to follow. Let's see if we can help some of you out there make some money this weekend. Let's talk about Friday. Let's talk about the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies Turf. And when we dive into this race, for the most part, we can go through uh, the bulk of the field and just give some positives and negatives on each of these horses that we will be using or may not be using in our rolling exotic. So this is a very important race on the card as it is race number eight. So it's going to be right smack in the middle of all of those late exotics. If you're playing a pick six, a pick five, a pick four, you need to be right about this race. If you're playing a pick three, this will be the last chance to uh, to play a pick three. And we begin with Comanche Country. DZ, this is a really nice filly. She's done very little wrong. Unfortunately, it's really tough to get a gauge for how good she is because she's been three for three out here on the West Coast since she came to the U.S. And it's not as if she's been defeating really tough company. The only race that we really can use for a measuring stick with her is a race when she actually got trounced by Meditate, who might be favored in this spot. I don't knock anything that she's done recently. I just have a hard time getting 
getting a feel for how good she is right now because I don't know who who really she's been beating. And the only line that we have with a horse in this race, she she wasn't close. Yeah, she had a fine debut in April earlier in the year in Ireland. Then, as you said, she ran into Meditate uh, in the Nosville Sprint, where she was no match for her at long odds. Now, you could certainly make the argument that she doesn't want anything to do with the six for a long trip. And the longer the races get, the better being by Highland Real. Out of a Chamardel mare, I, I certainly have no objection to that. My issue with her is twofold. One, specific to the races that she has been winning, the horses that she's beating are not good. Sell the Dream is nothing spectacular. She came out of that race. They didn't go to the Breeders' Cup with her. She ran in the Golden State Juvenile uh, Phillies and and finished fourth in a field of five on October the 29th. Uh, The horse that finished third, Bolts Broad, uh, came out of the Surfer Girl, went up to Golden Gate in a minor stake event, was sent off as the six to five favorite, and was beaten nine lengths. So certainly Comanche Country has not been flattered by what the horses that she has been beating uh, have come back to do. The other problem that I have with her, from a general standpoint, I don't necessarily ever really feel that the court, that the turf horses in Southern California are as good as the turf horses in the Midwest and the East, but especially for the two-year-old fillies. If you go through the history of this race, the, the two-year-olds from Southern California just don't win the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf races. They just don't. Uh, And I understand she's riding a three-race win streak. I understand she's done nothing wrong. She's beaten who they put in front of her. I think that the field that she is facing on Friday is tenfold of what she's seen the first three races. And uh, I I don't think you'll find her on my tickets. Yeah, for me, with a lot of the Southern California horses kind of hitting on your point, I I think if they have speed— that could be a horse that I could throw in and think could have an equal could be an equalizer if they were able to show really good speed. And she doesn't even really have that. You know, she's I'm sort of going to be treating her like she's going to be middle to the back of the pack and outkick some of these others. And like, she's I also had she's also had complete perfect trips in each of the last two starts. So trips. Yeah. great trips, no traffic, and and she's able to get the job done against lesser. I Andrew, you know, if she beats me. She beats me. She's done some really good work out here so far. I'm sure she'll come back to Southern California and perform very well. If you know, this is no doubt the no doubt the toughest test she's ever had, and uh, I, I I just can't get too warm for her in, in this spot. So I was at Golden Gate Fields for the Bolts Broad race. That that day's morning line favorite actually scratched. Bolts Broad was supposed to win that race by a city block. And just didn't run a jump. A nice horse trained by Sean McCarthy actually shipped up and wound up winning that race. But yes, there are definite class concerns with Comanche Country. However, I like her a little bit more than both of you. And I would throw that horse in as a B or a C simply because of the likely race shape. I think there's a ton of speed in this particular race. And Umberto Rispoli is as good a turf rider in the country as there is, especially over the last six months. He started out this year in a really bad slump, thought about going to New York, changed his mind, and wound up having just a fantastic meet down at Del Mar. And that really righted the ship for him. I think Comanche Country is one of those horses that if that horse is six to one or eight to one, you let beat you. Having said that, With this field, what it is, I think she's going to drift up from that 15 to one morning line price. 
and I'll be using her underneath in some exotics and with a horse that I will definitely be keying that we'll talk about later. At a price, I think she might be rolling late. Are there class concerns? Absolutely. Is a closer on the rail the most ideal thing in a field of 14? No. Chances are this horse is probably going to find some trouble, some adversity, what have you. But I think the race shape is going to be exactly what she wants. And for me, this is what I would consider a two by four horse, which is if a horse. Oh, yeah. Jim Duggan. Exactly. Okay. If a, okay. If a horse <laughs> ma- wins and makes you want to hit yourself in the head with a two by four, you <laughs> use the horse. For as much class questions as we have with Comanche country, they're there and they're legitimate. She's gone around two turns on turf three times and she's won all three. If that horse winds up winning at 25 to one and pays $52 and I don't have her in some capacity, I'm going to be pretty ill. Does she need to step forward? Yes. But I think that effort might well be in her, if not to win, to hit the board at a big price. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll toss her in underneath on deep try and super tickets. But to, just to counter Andrew's point, if she wins, I, I'm really not going to care. I, I just, I, I really, I, I really, really question her class against this field. And I understand it's a three race win streak, and I understand that the, that the race shape could fall into her lap, and and you know, for certain those things are, are valid arguments. I, I just don't think she's good enough. It's just, it's just my honest, humble opinion about this particular Philly. And regardless of everything on paper, if she wins, I, it's really not going to bother me. I swear. You, this is the wonderful thing about this game. And I promise I won't harp on this too much, but this is a beautiful, beautiful game. When you have three people that have combined to watch hundreds of thousands of races. And that is not an exaggeration, folks. No, nope. we have no lives. We have watched hundreds of thousands of races and we have wildly different opinions and we're one horse into the race. How yeah, good is the Breeders Cup? And, and we can talk about it without ripping each other's heads off. I know. I, I know. Probably Civil right, discourse. My goodness. I'd probably be right in the middle of you because I could understand her getting the trip. I think even if she were to get the trip, I think the ceiling I could see for her would probably be like a three, four finish in here. I would, I would just be pretty surprised if a lot of the other top horses that I I project to get the types of trips that she may get, if she's just better than them and able to out finish them. Um, So I could see Andrew putting her in, in the mix. And I could kind of agree with Darren in that. I don't know if she's quite good enough to win. So, uh, yeah, three different, totally opinion, uh, totally different opinions on one horse <laughs> as uh, we start with the Comanche country. Let's move to Cairo Consort, a filly who comes out of a, a couple races where she's shown some ability. When she stepped on the turf, she was fourth in her first turf start back in July. Then she broke her maiden her second time on the turf going six and a half. She was in the catch a glimpse. It was a really nice effort where she made an early move to the lead. And the last time out, she had some legitimate trouble. She was inside. She ran into some traffic. She had a backup to seventh of eighth. She was within just a few lengths. She was just trapped behind a wall of horses. She finally got some room and came closing. Uh, just couldn't get to last call who had gotten the the jump there. I actually thought, DZ, that the, the Natoma was a decent race this year with G. Laurie as a horse. For Graham Motion, who I think has some ability, and she also had nowhere to go, traveling well, looking for room. By the time she angled inside, it was just a little bit too late. 
Um, last call was the winner, but the horses who were second and third in there I actually thought had some ability too. What'd you think of Cairo Consort and maybe overall of that uh, Woodbine prep form? Yeah, so uh, I, I echo your sentiment. I, I think if you are going to uh, look at the Natalma and take it as a whole, uh, I would prefer potentially, well, out of the three of them, I would prefer the horse that ran third um, mm-hmm. between the winner and the runner up. Uh, yeah, Cairo Consort was was blocked in traffic at the quarter pole, had to wait for room. Now, I did think she had a good three sixteenths of a mile where if she was good enough, she could have ran down last call. I, I thought she had an opportunity to do it, and she just couldn't quite get to her. Uh, now, last call did have the better of the two trips, and perhaps by the time uh, the daylight appeared, maybe the trip took too much out of, out of Cairo Consort. Th- that's certainly plausible. And by the way, quick aside, um, one of my favorite plays in racing, and it could happen at any racetrack in the country, uh, Cairo Prince, first time on the grass, is one of the best angles in racing and has been all year. Uh, his offspring explode when they go to turf. And, and it's been, uh, whether it's Horseshoe Indianapolis, Belterra Park, Churchill Downs, wherever, you know, you, you look for it. Cairo, Cairo Prince is just unbelievable as a turf stallion. This horse will be on my tickets. Uh, I like the move that she made. She showed good acceleration. I loved her catch a glimpse. I love the fact that she came back and ran another good race. And obviously one other major note that we need to talk about, you're, no disrespect to uh, Antonio Gallardo, you're getting a monster upgrade in terms of the rider getting Joe yeah. Rosario. Absolutely. Um, there's a lot of positives here. She's going to be a double digit price. She'll be on my tickets. Yeah. Andrew Cairo consort. And I guess if you want to talk overall about that, uh, that Natalma race, who we have three horses coming out of. First of all, we've got to talk about Nathan Squires, the trainer of this horse, because this is a heck of a story. If you've never heard of Nathan Squires, you are not alone. This is a very small barn that has sent out 81 horses with five wins so far this year. This horse has two of them, and she's going to the Breeders' Cup. How cool of a story would it be if Cairo Consort rallied to win the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies turf? I don't see it. I understand that she had some obstacles in the stretch. G. Lori had it much, much much worse. And she I did. think if you're going to back any horse out of the Natalma, it's probably G Lori who we'll talk about in just a bit more than just a bit. My, my only small counter. And I, I like, uh, I like G Lori and I will be using the both of them. My only small counter to that would be, I think with Cairo consort, you have more tactical speed. So you probably will be able to get a, a jump on a horse like G Lori and maybe get a little bit better of a trip because they both did get trapped. So that would be, my only counter there is that I think G Lori is a little bit more of a deeper closer, whereas Cairo Consort might be able to get a little more of a jump. That might be, but if if I may counter your counter, I'm a little bit concerned that maybe the miles a little longer than Cairo Consort wants because her win two back in the catch a glimpse was excellent, going six and a half furlongs. The win before that, where she went wire to wire, six and a half furlongs. Also. The setup at Woodbine, one of the great turf courses in the entire world and one of the great racetracks in the entire world with some of the best people you'll ever meet in racing, went there in June, loved that place. It's a much different layout than the two-turn turf mile at Keeneland. Yes, Joel Rosario comes aboard here. I just happen to prefer others in this spot. I think there's some question marks. Would I be shocked if this horse comes running late for a piece of it? Not at all. Just don't see this horse as a win type, though. The 
to Cairo Consort was in that race with Last Call with G. Laurie, all three of them in this spot. Um, I definitely like the winner the least of the three. And uh, G. Laurie, she, had, she had a great trip. She had, a yeah, that's trip. the thing. She, I just yeah. made make her prove it again. You know, at twenty to one, when the two of the horses that. I liked a little bit mo- uh, more in that race were were severely compromised. We should mention last- the jockey change on the winner too. <laughs> yeah, uh, last call yeah. pick up Tori <laughs> doesn't hurt. Um, and she's if, right. If I uh, may jump in with some please. of the handicapping knowledge that I have picked up over the years, if you know the Jim Croce song, feel free to sing along. You don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. You don't pull the mask off the old Lone Ranger. And toss Frankie to Tory in Breeders' Cup races on the turf at your own peril. Uh, last call, twenty to one on the morning line. She, uh, yeah, she's number three here, DZ. So we've talked a little bit about this race. Um, any other thoughts on uh, on last call? Yeah, I mean, look, you this uh, to, to to go to Andrew's point about the two by four horse. Um, you know, if you like G. Laurie, and I understand. I think everybody who watches the Natalma thinks that she had the worst trip and was finishing best coming down to the wire. But if you, if you have G Laurie and you don't include last call in your gimmicks, the Philly that beat her, you know, you're asking for trouble. Especially if you have, if you have a strong opinion in some of the other races around this, you know, and you're spreading out and you're using this as a spread out race, I wouldn't want to throw this horse out. Right, right. Like, because then this is one of those moments where you say to yourself, well, I love the horse that ran third. Uh, how did I not include the horse that beat her in that same race? You know, that that's like a two by four moment as well. Even though I do believe that last call was the beneficiary of a much better trip than Cairo Consort and a much, much better trip than G. Laurie. So when I bet a horse out of a race, I typically try to include some horses from that same race. Um, but if you ask me to put these horses in my order of preference, last call would be my third preference of the three. And what is actually a, a sort still a positive about her, Andrew, is normally in a situation like this, the winner of that race would be the shorter price back the next time. She's still going to offer you pretty good value. It's not as if she's going to be a short price in here or probably even shorter than the other two we're talking about. Yes. And before we go much further, credit to whoever named this horse. Last call out of a mare named Overserved. Waka, Waka, Waka. <laughs> um, my concern with last call has nothing to do with the Natalma, where I thought she ran a very nice race, albeit with far and away the best trip. I look at figures and I see before that race two very underwhelming maiden special weight races. From buyer standpoint, a 63 and a 59, followed by a 79. Conventional wisdom says, A, I think she'd need to improve off of that effort in order to be a factor here. B, I think she's likely to bounce, regardless of who is on her. Nice horse. If you had her last time at 21 to 1, throw a couple of bucks on her because you're probably going to get the same price this time. I just don't see it. And I understand that you're playing with fire when you say that about a Frankie to Tory ridden turf runner in a Breeders' Cup race. But it's just a case where of the three horses in the Natalma, I very much prefer the horse that ran third rather than the first or second place horse. And to Darren's point, I understand that. I just think the Natalma was such a significant step forward that you're going to see some regression, especially against what sure looks like a better group. The next three in a row 
they did a, a nice job for us. Uh, we uh, we have horses that are coming out of the Miss Grillo in the four free look, who's five to one on the morning line. The five Pleasant Passage, who actually won that race two for two. She's 12 to one on the morning line. And Be Your Best, the six, who finished third in that race. Now, that was a yielding turf course at uh, the Belmont at Aqueduct current meet back on October the 1st, where Free Look was tracking second just behind Pleasant Passage, loomed up with dead aim, and just couldn't get by Pleasant Passage in that one. Your third place finisher, Be Your Best, was a couple lengths behind them. The uh, Those two got the little bit better of a trip and got the jump on her. So, DZ, let's just talk about this race overall because they're right next to each other. Um, with these three fillies, you know, give us a positive and negative. Do you like one? Are you chucking the race? Talk to us about uh, the Miss Grillo. So I remember that that week leading up to the weekend of October the 1st, there was an abundance of rain in the New York area where there were monsoon. Concerns. Yeah, there, there were there were real concerns about the stakes races that were on grass that weekend. So uh, yielding probably doesn't quite do justice how soft that turf course mm-hmm. was. Uh, and it did play kindly to speed, especially when you get to the half mile in nearly 50 seconds and you get to the six furlongs in almost a minute and 15. Um, so for me, Pleasant Passage, who wired that field, that's not the race that I would like her off of. If I like Pleasant Passage, I would like yeah. her off the maiden win. Yeah. Um, the maiden win for me was a was a far more impressive performance in terms of what she did upon debut and how she did it, the way she rallied with a rail trip, I, I thought was a really encouraging effort. The last race, she just kind of won because she, I think she was in the right spot of the racetrack at the right time. Free look, her maiden win was also uh, eye-opening, made a huge move uh, to get to the front in the stretch uh, and won while well clear. It's hard to love her coming off a race where she had every single opportunity to go by Pleasant Passage in the stretch and just could not do it, which is so unlike a Chad Brown turf runner. It could be the fact that the yielding turf course just took some of the starch out of her. It is a huge intangible and a huge variable in the analysis of the Miss Grillo. Be your best had no chance to win the Miss Grillo the way the, the race was run. Yep. Uh, her effort in the PG Johnson, I thought was excellent. Her debut was also excellent. Uh, I think you got three good fillies here that are coming in from New York. I really do. Um, it's hard for me to figure out which one is the one you want. I don't necessarily think Pleasant Passage is a speed horse. I don't really think she's going to be involved in the early pace. And I think relegating to more stalking, stalking type tactics will do her some good. The same for free look, the same for be your best. I really think, and I hate to give this answer. I think all three of them have a shot. If you ask me which one of the three I like the best, it would probably be free look with be your best, maybe getting the nod for second, but it wouldn't surprise me if any one of these three run, I'm just having a hard time separating them. Yeah. And, and what I was, what I, uh, you were kind of getting at, which normally I would look at pleasant passage and I wouldn't want to play her off of that race last time out, yeah. but you were hitting yeah. at the point that she showed us the versatility, you know, like, I don't think that's what she is. I don't think she's just a horse that is going to end up on the front end and, and, not be able to pass horses. We saw her run really well in her debut. So I kind of like that she's shown some multiple dimensions in her two. I think of the three, I would, I I do agree with you though. I actually think they're all three talented and Andrew, it's hard. You it's hard gauge getting a gauge for some of these horses coming off of that 
prep race on this turf course. We see in a few different prep races, in a few different Breeders' Cup races, where you have to look at horses who are coming off of races on a yielding turf course at Aqueduct that a lot of horses didn't really want to pass. So I'm, I don't want to be too hard on horses for just that. But I did agree with Darren, like, why couldn't the four go by the five, even if it was a yielding turf course? I still thought the four should have gone by the five there and, and didn't. So, I, I, you know, looking at these three, give us some of your thoughts about the Miss Grillo. We're going to have some fun here, gentlemen. So, first of all, your token Andrew Champagne Groner. It says BAQ as the abbreviation <laughs> for the track where the Miss Grillo was held. It should read BOG because it was <laughs> a bog. That I'm I'm going to be honest, guys. You watch those races back, and my question is, why didn't they cancel? Because not only are the turf races impossible to get a glean off of, the dirt races, the frisette, the champagne, it's impossible to get any sort of a read because of how much water was in that track on that particular weekend. For me, every single one of those prep races is a complete and total throwout. And with that in mind, I am going to espouse one of the wisest things anybody ever told me about the Breeders' Cup, and that is find horses that you have strong enough opinions for and bet them to where, regardless of what happens in any of the other 13 races, if they win, it's a good weekend. Guys, I've got one of those horses, and it's be your best. Horse number six in the program. You look at these horses, you see they came from Saratoga. Do yourselves a favor, if you haven't seen this, go back and rewatch the July 31st race that both Be Your Best and Free Look debuted in. Be Your Best saved no ground at all whatsoever. Free Look, on the other hand, was inside most of the way, had to tip out, had a little bit of trouble, but saved infinitely more ground. It didn't matter. Be Your Best was sensational on that particular day for Horacio De Paz, a very good trainer who doesn't win with a lot of his first-time starters. Be Your Best comes back in the P.G. Johnson. Much the best. Wins by almost four lengths that day. Her two races at Saratoga, she combined to win by seven lengths. She goes in the Miss Grillo. Agreed with you guys. She had absolutely no shot there. They rode for third that day. They got third that day. And those races at Saratoga, to me, are the only ones you can consider when you look at Be Your Best. And what you see is a horse that overcame very slow fractions, 114 and change for six furlongs, 115 for six furlongs, and she finished like a rocket. Be Your Best, to me, is the horse to beat in the juvenile Phillies turf. Eight to one on the morning line. I will gladly take that price. To me, she's a lone A. Of the other two, I prefer Pleasant Passage. And again, as you mentioned, off of the race in the Miss Grillo, you'd think, oh, I don't want to bet a horse that barely won with a perfect trip. Why would I want to do that? The last two works are bullets. And Shug McGahee, while he doesn't work his horses slow, doesn't overextend his horses in the mornings. I think that tells you something about where Pleasant Passage is. She's a B for me. Free look, has talent, could potentially win. But she didn't get by Pleasant Passage, and she couldn't keep up with Be Your Best on debut. Maybe she's good enough to run well here. I think of those three, she's the biggest underlay. Be Your Best, my top selection, and 
is going to be one of my bigger bets of the weekend. Big opinion on be your best for Andrew. As uh, yeah, I think in that situation, I I probably rank those three coming out of that same race. I would have five, six, four. So again, we're 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 kind of feeling like uh, we like. I think both of those races are strong, though. We both feel like both the Natalma and the Miss Grillo are strong races. It's just a little tougher to get a feel for the Miss Grillo because of the way it played out. But I do think those are all three talented runners. We get to Spirit Gal. DZ, I have a tough time with horses like this when they come over to the U.S. when they're really big speed horses because she clears the field immediately and then just goes on with it. And I I don't know if she's going to have that type of trip here with the type of speed that we have with the U.S. runners. So I, I have a tough time with a horse like Spirit Girl. Can she get that type of trip? I mean, she's lightly raced and she's won two in a row, but this is a class test and it's going to be a different type of pace early on. Yeah, I am I am so conflicted on this Philly because uh, I do think there's talent here. Uh, I like visually what I see from her. Uh, she is a nice, long-bodied, scopey-type Philly. Um, I, 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 think, I, I think this Philly is going to make some noise in her career. It's also worth mentioning that she's coming out of a race where she defeated, defeated a horse by the name of Cairo. Cairo was actually a pre-entry of Aiden O'Brien's in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf, who came out of that race to win a grade three, going seven furlongs over the turf at Leopardstown. So she beat boys that day, including a next-out group three winner, who a lot of people thought was a legitimate contender in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. He's not entered, though. He was pre-entered, but not entered into the field. So she made him look, you know, like an okay horse. So there's definitely some talent here. Now, the one thing I'll say is that she won two races where she was just the best horse on that day. She went wire to wire. I mean, if you go back and watch the races, never an anxious moment, right to the front, full of run, just kind of coast to the wire in both of them. What happens here in a race where she likely doesn't make the lead? She's in a 14-horse field. She's knocking heads. She's trying to find a trip. She's going uh, two turns for the first time. She stretched out to a mile for the first time. There are, and, and she's shipping overseas. There are so many hurdles that she needs to clear to win this race that she needs to be a borderline superstar probably to do it. But you're, I will you're getting say, the price at least, right? I will say that if you pay close enough attention, there is some sneaky talent here. And I'm not saying she's, she's going to win. But don't be surprised if this filly runs well. Yeah, and and like I said, she's not five or six to one, and we're taking all those variables in. She's 20 to one, and she's going to offer you great value. Those variables are built into her price. Andrew, talk to us a little bit about Spirit Gal. There are things to like here. I like the development that I'm seeing in the time form ratings. If you're unfamiliar with time form ratings, basically they're about a 10 to 12 point difference for the most part from buyer speed figures. She went from a 58 to a 73 to an 84 to an 87 in her four starts. Figure 87 is low to mid 70s for buyer speed figures. And that fits with this group. My thing is, if she's got that kind of early speed going six or seven furlongs, why is she in this race and not the juvenile turf sprint where I honestly think she would have a big shot given that early speed? 
The only answer that I can muster is that Charles Fipke is a very enterprising guy that doesn't mind taking chances. He's got horses all over the world with a variety of different trainers, and maybe he wants to see if this horse can go a mile ahead of a campaign next year in Europe that would almost certainly feature some very big races for three-year-old fillies going a mile. You get Ricardo Santana Jr., who's a very aggressive rider out of the gate. She's certainly going to be a factor early, but you can say that about a couple of these horses. I don't think she'll be alone. The two turns is a definite question mark. I prefer others, but I agree with Darren. One to watch moving forward. Manhattan Jungle is the eight. She's a big price. She's faced the boys in her last few, DZ, and she was not disgraced in those races. She's beaten four lengths by Blackbeard, who is excellent, who came out of that race to win. You're going to see Blackbeard in the running lines for a lot of these juvenile runners. Manhattan Jungle will, I mean, she'll have to face a tough group again. She's been a little bit, a little bit overmatched when she's faced group stakes company, and this will be a tough test for her, but. Again, she's faced some pretty tough company in her last few races. I couldn't get a, a really good feel for her um, in some of her races either. I don't really know all that much what her like a running style is or what kind of trip to project for her. Talk to us about Manhattan Jungle. Yeah, if you watch her replays, I think she's got a lot of speed. I, I think I think she's going to be duking it out on the front end. I don't think there's really any other way about it. Um, I'm surprised. You know, uh, Andrew mentioned about Spirit Gal. Manhattan Jungle was also entered in the juvenile turf sprint. And I'm it was so weird to me. I know. I'm astonished that she's not in that race. Um, you know, she caught a, a, a buzzsaw last time in Eddie's boy uh, at Shanti, who ran a hole in the wind. You mentioned the fact that she was beaten four lengths by Blackbeard, who was a budding superstar before he had to be retired with a bone chip. She was beaten a length by a very nice horse named the Antarctic. Um, she ran behind Persian Force, force two starts back dramatized in the Queen Mary. She's faced some really good horses. And by the way, I'll just mention those two horses, Persian Force and uh, Persian Force and Dramatized are both 15 to one in the morning line in the juvenile turf sprint. And I really don't understand why. Um, so just something to think about when you handicap that race. I don't, this is another situation where the stretch out to a mile and the fact weird. that there's so much speed, it's really weird. Um, I, I vastly prefer Spirit Gal to a horse like Manhattan Jungle. It's a very strange entry to me. But she's in. She's a quick filly. She's got talent. Wouldn't shock me at all if she's actually the one on the lead. But she is certainly going to be a part of the pace scenario. Andrew, uh, Manhattan Jungle, anything to discuss on this one? Well, for one thing, her record does look far better if you just draw a line through the Queen Mary at Royal Ascot. Also, if this track comes up on the softer side, maybe she moves up a little bit. The first three wins of the career were all over soft turf courses. But again, Darren hit it. You're talking about a five or a six furlong horse that's going to turns. I don't understand why she's going to be a big price. I'm fading her. There's also and, there's also no rain in the forecast in Lexington for the week. So yeah, like she it's, doesn't get the lead. She's done. I mean, I just say you know she's going to be if she if she's third or fourth tracking, she's probably done right off the bat. Like she needs to be loose on the lead, and I don't even know if she's that fast. Like she's right. able to do that against you know, sprinters overseas, but I still don't know if she could even do that here. I, it is a weird spot for her as we move to delight the number nine, six to one on the morning line. Delight comes in for trainer, Jonathan Thomas off of back-to-back victories, broke the maiden at Delaware after a third at Saratoga going along and then won the Jessamine basically on the front end. Uh, delight 
It was really wide back at Saratoga too and on August the 7th had to make a, a five wide early move was three wide throughout I thought it was a pretty solid third and then just kind of cleared on the front end it was impressive in that last effort on October the 7th DZ what do you think about delight stepping in here a uh, talented Philly um her debut behind love reigns at Keeneland uh it's worth watching the replay to see where she came from the finished third I know she was beating 10 and a quarter lengths but uh, it was a, a, an enterprising stretch run, Out of the, the clouds <laughs> Yeah, uh, it is absolutely worth The watch for the last three sixteenths of a mile Of that run um, Yeah, uh, you hit the nail on the head about that race at Saratoga She went down the Delaware Coasted to a relatively easy win Beating a next out maiden winner in the process Then she ran in the Jessamine uh, Where she just kind of asserted her superiority She was the best horse that day She went to the front She got to the half mile in 49-3 and three, uh, Over a course listed as firm that was the ball game. I don't necessarily think that the Jessamine field that she beat that day was was particularly strong. Uh, I don't think it stacks up particularly well against what she's facing in here. Uh, I have a ton of respect for Jonathan Thomas. I think he's one of the best trainers in the game. Um, I just think the price on her being the horse from Keeneland that's got a win over the course that typically takes a lot of that Kentucky money. I don't know if the price... I'll put it this way. I don't know if the juice is going to be worth the squeeze if she's five to one. You know, I, I think there's better value elsewhere. I agree. If she was 10 to one, 12 to one, I would want to include her more. I don't really have knocks on her, Andrew. I just kind of like other horses that might be better prices a little more than her. Uh, any thoughts on Delight? On a day with as many competitive races as there are on Breeders' Cup Day, I really don't like betting horses that come in off of picture-perfect trips because you don't know how much they can improve off of efforts where everything goes right. And that's what happened with Delight in the Jessamine. I agree with you guys. I don't think that field was very good. And if you give a halfway decent horse and Luis Saez, that's a key part of this, an opening half in 49-3 and and an opening six furlongs in 114-3, and What do you think is going to happen? It's not going to go well for the rest of the field. I don't think she gets that kind of trip in this spot. I think she's a nice filly. I had her in a couple of the races earlier this year, had her at Keeneland, had her at Saratoga, but I see six to one. And that hits me as a pretty drastic underlay with what her chances are in this race. I think ability wise, she ought to be about 12 or 15 to one. And I'm not going to get that price. I can't back her. Will I be stunned if she runs well? No, but it's one of those instances where if a horse like that beats you on Breeders' Cup Day, you live with it and you move on. Imagine if Mike Battaglia was making the line. She'd be three to one. <laughs> I'm <laughs> not touching that one with a 10-foot pole. Which, but listen, I'm just saying, once you know how, how he was when he made the line. A horse, the coming, from, a horse coming from Keeneland always, always. was favored. Always. always. Was favored. Bluegrass winner is always favored in the Derby. Uh, the, 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 the Keeneland, you know, the Woodford Mile, whatever, you know, the, 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 the mile prep race at Keeneland before the Breeders' Cup. Remember, Ivar came out of that race. At like 12 to 1 was the morning line favorite in the Breeders' Cup mile. It's just automatic. It's <laughs> auto. I, I'm telling you, if I'm telling you, if he made this morning line, Delight would be three to one. Delight is at six to one, which is still too short. Uh, but meditate, this next Philly is going to take a, a lot of money. It's pretty tough to knock her. I mean, overall, she's raced six times, she's won four of them. She is a multiple group stakes winner. Her two defeats came to a horse named 
uh, excuse me, she's lost twice in, in, in spots that were very, very tough. In back-to-back races most recently, both group ones, so she's multiple group one placed. She was close up in her last start at Newmarket. She was just outside of the leader, and she got to the lead with a furlong left. She was a clear-cut second that day. Now, for Meditate, she's going to be trying the mile for the first time. She wanted seven furlongs over a good turf course. I don't know... Like in watching her races, DZ, I don't know if 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 it'll be the mile that does her in. She should probably be okay here. But when we're dealing with these big fields and short prices, I I prefer horses that I've seen do these things a little bit. I think she'll probably be a pretty short price in here. Um, she's certainly talented and has a lot of ability. Talk to us about Meditate. I think she's in a tough spot with Manhattan Jungle and Spirit Gal to her inside if they both break well and go. Because meditate wants to be forward. If you she's close up too, yeah, she's close up too. Um, and and for me, when when Aiden O'Brien brings these types over, um, and, and listen, she's very talented. Make no mistake about it. She's a Group Three and a Group Two winner. She's she's two times Group One placed. Both the efforts are are solid enough. I just prefer the European runners with this type of a profile that are going to come running late. As Absolutely. opposed to the ones the that speed are horses scare me. They do. Yeah, they I, they really do. And she's stretching out to a mile. No name never can get a mile, although he's also had a lot of success with sprinters. There is certainly some stamina on the bottom side of the pre, the pedigree with Dalakani. But in a situation where she'd been beaten the last two, last time out, she really had no excuse. She just couldn't uh, hold off Lazoo. Nope. Um, or get by Lazoo, I should say, in the Shelley Park. Um, I just think you can do better than settling on Meditate here. Andrew, uh, talk to us about what will likely be one of the uh, the favorites in this race. As the great Harvey Pack made a living saying, hmm. Don't never a bet a horse. The first time. Exactly, Darren. You get a gold star today. Could Meditate win? Sure. You look at the races she's run overseas. There's nothing wrong with running second in the Moigler Stud and the Chevalier Park, earning time form ratings of 97 and 98. My concern is she got caught both times. She's going to have to go pretty fast in this race because in addition to the two Euros you mentioned that have some speed, Basil Martini's not going to be sitting very far back. I think Joey O'Brien is going to be telling John Velasquez, hey, you see my dad's horse over there? Beat her into the first turn. (laughs) Meditate is four to one on the morning line. I think she's likely to come down a couple of ticks. And at some point, we've got to talk about this. For as much success as they have literally everywhere else on this planet and maybe some others they secretly ship to, Aiden O'Brien and Ryan Moore come over here and it's not like they've never won, but they've had some really, really long droughts with horses that seem like they tower over the field. Does meditate seem like she towers over this field? I say no between the post, the two turns, the mile distance and the race shape I'm against. Yeah. I, to, to Andrew's point, it's one of the things that's not really talked about. Um, but Aiden O'Brien coming over here the last five years in grade one companies in grade one company is six for 89. Um, in, in the last five years overall, yeah. he's eight for 120. 
yeah. in any race, 7%. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Um, people don't really talk about it. And when you watch the Breeders' Cup broadcast, I don't know if they bring it up or not. They do a lot of um, stuff about Aiden O'Brien and, and how, you know, him and Bally Doyle and Tabor and Smith and Wagner are the dominant force in turf racing. Basically, We're going to get a look at all the O'Brien horses working yeah. in the morning, right? Yeah. We're going to see them all out on the track together. And you may get Randy Moss to come out and say, you know, oh, by the way, the best kept secret in racing is the fact that for the most part, when Aiden O'Brien comes over to the United States, he doesn't win. I'm not saying he never wins, but, you know, you're talking about a trainer who literally wins with reckless abandon in Europe. And he comes here and over a five year. It's not a small sample size. No. Over a massive sample size over five years, 120 horses. He's winning at 7%. I mean, that's literally 20% less than what, what he wins at, and if not more, in Europe. And so, the prices of these horses we're talking about, too, a lot yeah. of the time are short prices or, yep. you know, the shortish prices in the race, your your favorite, your second choice, your third choice, a lot of the time. I mean, compare someone's numbers like him to Charles Appleby, who wins yeah. at 50% with the horses that he brings in. It's, mm-hmm. it's you know, it's it has to be mentioned. It has to no, be I, mentioned. It does. And and I can't really explain it. I, I don't I don't know why. I don't know why when he brings these horses uh, over here, they don't necessarily perform as well. It, it doesn't really make much sense. Um, no, but it, it, it is the way it is. And, uh, you know, I, you have to handicap accordingly. You know, I, I think the last maybe the last two horses that he's had win the breed, I think Order of Australia won the mile. And I think the last two-year-old that came over to win, I want to say, was Mendelssohn. Um, in, yeah, I mean, uh, was we that have five years ago. Yeah, literally five years ago. So Santa Barbara was the only recent horse. You know, that was in 2021. Right, last well, year. Yeah, yeah. when you're but looking any, at, but specific to the Breed- Breeders specifically Cup. Breeders' Cup. No, yeah. there's just very little success. Yeah, um, recently and. Again, you weigh that with a horse that's going to be a short price. We probably you don't even really have to mention something like that at the horses twenty to one, right? But when you're talking about horses that might be favored, like how short do you want to take on horses for barns that haven't had a lot of recent success here? That is meditate the number ten. We move to the uh, number eleven, who we've referenced a few times so far. That was G. Lori, who finished third in the Natalma. She's a filly who's raced twice in her career debut. She won a race at Colonial. She was awesome in that race. No clue who exactly she beat. She beat the race has come back productive and has already produced next out winners. No real idea how good they are, but she did exactly what you're supposed to do. She won that turf race by six lengths. She actually had nowhere to go. She was tra- um and she, I mean she, it was it was really awesome. And we we've hit on her race a few times in the Natalma DZ. She was loaded, completely blocked. She absolutely has some ability. Just the time, by the time she got room and she angled inside, it was just too late for her in that Natalma. And I, I'm expecting her to run pretty well in here. You know, Grand Motion, I his horses don't really get bet all that much either. This this is the type of filly that I would like to play in his hands. I think she's got a shot here. Oh, she does. I, I would have preferred potentially if she could have um if she could have uh, drawn better you know yep. the post certainly did her no favors um but that being said you know if you looked at her inside uh meditates going forward delight is probably going forward somewhat manhattan jungle we know is going forward spirit gal you expect to go forward 
there might be a cozy little pocket for her to just kind of break out and go to the left and, and actually work out a pretty decent trip. If that does come to hand, um, her debut was, was spectacular visually. I know the figure did not come back big, but if you go back and watch the race, you just kind of have to appreciate what she did upon debut going a mile and a 16th on the turf. Not something you see every day from two-year-old fillies. It no. was it passing the eye test does not do that race justice. Then she caught the worst of it. And then from the Thomas stakes, she finished as fast as she possibly could. Uh, the race line doesn't even do the, the trouble that she ran into justice. That not day. even I, close, not even close. Yeah. And, and, and be honest with you, if you can go on my Twitter page that uh, the day that she won at colonial, I actually put a question out there. Anybody want to give me odds on G Laurie and the breeders cup juvenile Phillies turf? Um, nice. I thought her, I thought her debut was that somebody actually was going to give me 15 to one, which is probably could be somewhat close to what she's going to be. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, two interesting angles to look at one grand motions, putting the blinkers on here. Um, don't know if I like it or not, but I'll put it to you this way. If you if, any, for me, any list of the top five trainers in horse racing includes grand motion. I don't I question agree. him when he makes a move. The second thing, William Buick is riding her. Mm-hmm. which is really interesting. Um, if she gets a trip, I think she's got as good a shot as any. Uh, at the price, if she is that 12 to 1 to 15 to 1 range, she'll be a key use for me. Um, Andrew talked me in quite a bit on Be Your Best, that I'll be including her quite a bit as well. If this thing comes out, Be Your Best and G. Laurie or G. Laurie and Be You Best, uh, meet me in downtown Lexington, folks, on Friday. <laughs> the drinks are on me. <laughs> Andrew, uh, add a little bit to G. Laurie here. Uh, I might need to take you up on that on Saturday. Uh, out of the Bay Area, I need, probably need to connect somewhere, rent a car. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll preface this with a disclaimer. I don't like bashing riders. I don't like being the guy that says, Oh, every ride stinks. All the jockeys are crooked. Da, 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 da. If you have not seen the Natalma, go watch the Natalma and tell me what Manny Franco must have been thinking the entire way around the track. He made every single incorrect decision aboard G. Laurie. And that's why William Buick and not Manny Franco is on this horse on Friday. I liked G. Laurie a lot in the Natalma. Thought she ran a tremendous race once she finally got clear. The outside post, again, little bit of a problem. But if she's able to work out a trip, she's another that I think gets a terrific race shape for what she wants to do. She took a big step forward from start one to start two. I think start two to start three is going to produce further progression. Do I think that's good enough to win? I don't know. 15 to one and up hits me as a dramatic overlay given the trainer involved who, by the way, doesn't win with first time starters. So when he sends something out that wins by six at first asking, chances are they can run a little bit. G Laurie will be on a lot of my exotics tickets will be on some deeper tickets that I play again, be your best is a lone a for me. But if I'm looking at this race and giving you a top three or a top four, G. Laurie is probably my second choice. By the way, to add to that, um, Gino, uh, the point of Graham Motion, Graham Motion is also not an aggressive trainer. No. So if he goes off a maiden win with a speed figure that did not come back quick and goes from a maiden win at Colonial Downs, do 
directly into a grade one. And then from that directly into the Breeders' Cup with a filly that's run twice, you better pay attention because what that is telling you is that Graham Motion thinks this is a special filly. And he you wouldn't be here if he didn't. I promise there, there's you There's not a like – I've said this a couple times throughout the the shows. He's not someone – and you see it with a couple other barns that are like this too. He won't put a, – a horse wouldn't be here unless they could compete. He's not forcing a horse into a spot because of the owners or something like that. It's just nope. this horse belongs in, in here and fits very, very well. She's a major, major player. And I think she's drawn right next to another major, major player. Midnight Mile is raced twice. She's a two-year-old filly who debuted back in July at Doncaster in a six-for-a-long race. She had some trouble at the start. Then on October the 7th, and she won that race going six in a field of 11. A couple months off, she comes back on October the 7th. It was one of the most impressive replays I've watched uh, on the weekend, I think, for any of the European horses. She was in some tight quarters Early on at the back of the pack She has to shift to the inside She's traveling really well She's got to alter course To the three path and in between Horses after being Held up and traveling really Well DZ I don't know who she beat I know she's spotting this field experience She's never even been a mile I I can't leave her Off my tickets in what I saw with her I think this filly has a load of ability There are some knocks I don't want to play her at anything less than her price At about 10 to 1 right here I, You know if she was 5 or 6 to 1 That's too short I would like a little more But 10 still feels fair to me On Midnight Mile The 12 here who will be on all of my exotics Talk to us about Midnight Mile She's good um, I, I saw everything that you saw uh, in that in that debut, uh, she's very easy to spot. She's got really cool silks. They're these like blue and green blocks with white sleeves mm-hmm. and a white cap. So she's really easy to spot out. It, it's really identifiable. There was a lot of weird stuff going on in that last race at Newmark. A couple of horses kind of getting choked back and, and getting keen. She was in the back of the pack in the middle, in between, in and amongst horses. And then they get down to like the last kind of 400 meters 600 meters she moves down then to the inside looking for room the rail gets shut off then she swings to try to go in between two horses doesn't work she guides back to the outside to kind of go in between some other horses and then she absolutely just takes off in the stretch showing the kind of professionalism that you don't see in a two-year-old filly Uh, i had texted you guys a couple of hours ago where I was going through these replays uh, a second time just to kind of get caught up on <laughs> for our discussion. And, uh, and I said, um, you know, how did she win? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, looking back, how the hell did she win that race? Um, yeah, look, she's been 14 to one and 22 to one her first two starts. Um, I'll be honest with you. I don't know anything about the connections. Nothing. I know. Nothing. I know. I don't. I, 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 maybe I'm making a complete ass of myself right now. I don't know who Richard Fahey is. Um, I know he had space traveler who ran here in the breeders cup mile. He's had three, three horses ago. in five years here yeah. entered in the U S um, yeah, and two of I them just, were in the breeders cup mile in 2019. Then uh, Ribchester in 2017. Yeah, Ribchester was a, was a nice horse. Yeah. Uh, he, he ran well. He came into that. I think in a, off a, I think he won it. Uh, I, I forget. I, I think he won a group one. I think he won the Queen Anne, actually, if I remember correctly, Ribchester. He was sec- uh, uh, Rib. Yeah, he won the Queen Anne. He won yeah, the Sus- uh, second in the Sussex. Um, yeah. And then he, he 
He was a runner-up in the stakes before coming over. He ran a pretty good fifth in the Breeders' yeah. He's only beaten like uh, length and three quarters behind World Approval. So I guess it's something to be said that he brings horses over here that he thinks are good. Um, this filly, it was a spectacular effort. She's going to have you know a big hurdle to overcome here. You're asking her to do an awful lot, um, but there's talent here. And mm-hmm. uh, let the let the tote board be your guide is my best advice. Andrew, talk to us about Midnight Mile. A lot of questions, certainly a very, very impressive replay. A 91 time form rating translates to high 70s, around an 80 on the buyer scale. The post position is a killer. And just looking at the running lines and looking at the replays that are available, I question whether or not this is a horse that finds trouble. Now, it is, will always be a case with those horses where you'll get people saying, oh, this time, if this horse gets the trip, it'll wind up coming through for me. There's talent here. I agree with you there. This is a barn that has had a lot of success with two-year-olds. Last year, Richard Fahey had one of the better two-year-olds in Europe, a horse named Perfect Power, who if that one had come over for either the juvenile turf sprint or the juvenile turf, would have been one of the favorites. Won the Pre-Mornay in France, won the Middle Park Stakes in the UK. This is a good trainer. Lorden's a good rider. We've seen him before. You take a look at the far outside post at Keeneland, the numbers are not good for two-turn turf routes. Could this horse potentially wind up overcoming a whole mess of adversity and winning in impressive fashion? Sure. For me, it's a seahorse. If you're going down that far, there are just others that I prefer for whom they'll be able to make their own trips rather than have to rely on everything falling perfectly. Watch the tote board. Completely agreed with Darren on that one. If there's early money, that's probably a clue. Um, just to counter something uh, that Andrew said, and, and I agree that there are horses that find trouble and, you know, you wait for them to get the trip where they're finally mm-hmm. going to come through. This Philly's found trouble and it hasn't mattered. Yeah. That, that was, what I was going to say too, she's overcome That's, it. She's sure. already, yeah. She's already overcome it twice uh, where she had, she had some issues in her debut where she was just green as grass. Then I'm not going to give her, um, I'm not going to put the blame on her in the oh so sharp stakes because literally everything in front of her was zigzagging basically all over the place. And she just had to find a hole that kept disappearing. Um, and she's still able to overcome that. Now, listen, the hurdles are not, are not insignificant. Um, she, she does need to step up and, and, and sur- she needs to be a very special Philly to win this race, but yep, she showed you in her last race that she's given you some evidence that she just might be that. Uh, and I'm not going to hold the trouble against her because for her to overcome that in her second lifetime start of her two-year-old season, um, there is there is a ton of talent here. Um, I think this is a relatively loaded field for this it particular is. race. It, it will. Uh, and- we talked about two prep race, two local prep races where yeah. we actually think three horses in I, each of those races have ability. I think I think there's, there's literally six, you know like I think six U.S. Li- horses normally that. We couldn't find six that we thought may have a chance in a race like this. No, if you if you told me, you know, a year, a year and a half from now that six of these Phillies would go on to be either grade one or group one winners wouldn't shock me at all. Really wouldn't. Good- I think I think there's that much talent in this race. I really do. It is a good, good group is with the 13 we going with is Shierga. 
You know, I watch a lot of replays on mute so I don't get thrown me, by the announcer. I, I, and, I, and I'm not joking. I do the same thing, but I purposely yeah. was trying to listen. And I think I think it was Shierga. Is that that's where we're going? But sure. nonetheless, the 13 who Shigera, was on the maybe? Turf, yeah, um, was on the turf in her first two starts. She was a runner up at Saratoga August the 7th going long. And uh, and then in her second start, she won very impressively. She broke her maiden, uh, winning by five and three quarters. They decided to take a swing on the dirt in the Alcibiades. And you know what? She did not run poorly in there at all. Took a shot. Um, she moved. She got put up to third via DQ. And that you know maiden win, she just broke on top. She sat second. She moved to the lead. She crushed a group that she was better than. Now she gets a tough post. And with what we've seen from her, with this outside draw, DZ, she's got to be handled aggressively, right? Yeah, you you would think. Um, you know, we talked about perplexing decisions. Here's a question: Off her win at Saratoga, I mean, I'm not saying I I don't I don't understand why people take shots, but why wouldn't you just run this filly in the Jessamine? I know I, I've got I the answer. I, um, oh, go ahead, go. Grade one placing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and okay. Uh, you know she's grade one placed on the dirt now. But um, oh yeah, she got placed third via DQ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, then, look, her 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 race at Saratoga that she won was really good. She actually finished in front of Delight mm-hmm. on August the seventh, where she was kind of uh, vying for the lead. Which you know she ran over the um, over the inner turf course uh, that day at Saratoga, which was which was always conducive to horses that laid close. So she, you know even though she was dueling. On the front end, it wasn't necessarily a bad trip. I thought her effort on August the 28th was sensational. Um, then she went to the dirt, didn't run bad at all. You know, could have been, could have been the surface, could have been the fact that maybe she's just not quite up to, you know, winning a grade one on dirt at this point. Post is real tough. You know, where where is she going from here? Uh, yeah, I know. And this is, you know, with her and the and Basil Martini out in the 14. This is the part of the race that you have to say to yourself. Man, does this potentially speed up the early fractions? Um, right. If she was in post five, I might like her quite a bit. Um, I'm just really concerned about the draw. If she can run back to the maiden win, she's got a shot. Um, I, I, the the post just really, really concerns me. Because Andrew, they got to make a decision early on, and we've never seen her have to come from way out of it. We've only seen her right on the pace pushing it. So it's, hey, do we want to take this filly way back and try something completely different in the Breeders' Cup against the best? Or, you know what, we have to get aggressive and just hope that we can maybe get over to, like, the two-path or and, and not have to get hooked that wide? What do you think about the 13 in here? If there is a silver lining, it's that she's shown she doesn't need to be on the lead in order mm-hmm. to run well. She can sit in the first flight. And I think that's probably the play they're going to try. But again, it's one of those instances where the post, once you get out past 10 or 11, I'm not saying you can't win from out there. You've got to be a mile the best. And I just don't think this is that kind of horse. She ran well twice at Saratoga. The horse she ran into first time out, Pink Hue, ran a very, very good race in order to beat her. We we talked about Delight already. And then she came back and romped at Saratoga. They saw enough to try her on the Alcibiades, placed third through the DQ, got that grade one placing, and that horse is worth a ton of money right now for connections that don't mind taking a shot. Rigney Racing and Phil Bauer. 
It's just a case where I feel like the race shape doesn't play into what she wants to do. If it's a case where the Euros don't aren't as fast as they seem on paper, I should say, maybe she winds up being on the engine early and dictating terms for a bit. That's probably your best case scenario, but there's a lot of ifs here for a horse that just doesn't present enough appeal at the price. If she was in post speed, I was just going to ask Andrew, if she was in post five, you would like her a lot more. Uh, considerably. Yes. Even if she was an eight or nine, I'd like her a lot more. Okay. It just seems like there's a good amount of speed in here, you know, and, and Basil Martini, who I really wanted to be owned by Basil DeVito or, uh, no, uh, but here's the thing, you know, who does own it? The Ivorones, yes. everybody get ready to see Michael Ivorone and his <laughs> wife in those ridiculous outfits on Breeders' Cup Day. Do not adjust your set. <laughs> but Darren, you were kind of hitting on it. She's fast. She's pretty quick too. She was forwardly placed. She got the lead. Um, Are you talking held- about the horse or Michael Ivorone's wife? Yes. 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 I'm sorry. That was like a dangling modifier. It was. It was a softball. It was a softball. You had to take a swing there. But but yeah, this filly is, you know, she's never gone a mile and she showed speed sprinting. And yeah. now with that outside draw, she's going to try to sit four or five wide all the way around. You feel like she's probably got to get shoved from out there. I mean, all she does is go to the front, yeah. you know? So, um, I, again, listen, it is, we can watch replays until we're blue in the face. And, and we do, uh, we try to watch these replays of these horses from Europe to, to gain as much information about them as possible, especially when we're going to be, uh, trying to have an intelligent conversations and uh, and debates about them. That being said, it is extremely hard to watch these replays, look at these horses on paper, and really have a good understanding of just how quick they are out of the game. Mm-hmm. Compared to the That's American. a great point. When it's they're hard. sitting second or third yeah. and you see prominent or forwardly placed in the running lines, what does that translate to over here? Yeah. Does that put exactly. you in the middle of the pack against American speed? I, I don't know. And that's what it's you, you hit on this point. I know it's not always like that. And some of these horses, they might just be better than the, their company they were facing. And so they're more forwardly placed, but I want to, for my money, I think I trust the horses that I've seen proven more from off the pace and closing when they come over here. Those are just the types of horses. I think I'm looking for more in races like this. Yeah. I agree because, you know, these horses have put themselves in positions these that have shown that they have been close to an early pace, pushing the tempo on the lead, sitting second. But you don't know how strong of a pace that is in comparison to the American runners. I mean, I, I've half kiddingly said to one of my partners that, that we own horses with the Philly threat level midnight that we have. I said, well, what are we doing? We should just send her over and racing on a five for a long straightaway. And she'll have a, she'll have a 12 length lead. She's a freaking <laughs> rocket ship. Exactly. You know? Um, the way, the way that they come out of the gate over there. So, I, I mean, it, we, we try to watch these replays. This Philly is supposed to be really fast where she's going from out here with Zajera and, um, meditate and delight and all the others inside of her in Manhattan jungle. I have no idea. I, I it's impossible to know. Is she actually making the lead from post 14? If she doesn't, is she going 17 wide into this turn? I, it's, it is so hard, but. I mean, what, what's your option? Like, she's, she's only had one way of going. Are you going to say 
the John Velasquez. You're not making the front from the 14. You know, wherever she breaks, just kind of grab a hole and save as much ground as you can, and hopefully she runs a little bit. I, I mean, is that what you're coming here for? I, I don't know. Um, it, it's a complete intangible. It's an unknown. It's post-14 with a European filly that's got European speed. Um, your guess is as good as mine. If she wins, though, I'm tearing up my tickets. Yeah, it's a no from me. Uh, I understand bringing her here off of a group three win. These connections take shots. We see the Ivorones at one big event here. It seems like Joey O'Brien has dipped his toe into a consistent American string. The results just so-so one for 10. And I believe he went O for the Saratoga meet with the two-year-olds that he brought over. His horses get better as they get older this particular instance to me seems like a horse that lost all chance at the post position draw. No, thanks for me. Uh, kind of putting a little bow on the juvenile Phillies turf. This will absolutely be a race where I'm, I'm using a good amount of horses. I think a lot of people probably will be spreading the top horses for me. That'll be on probably all of my tickets will be the 12 midnight mile, the 11 G Lori and the two Cairo consort. I think I kind of treat them as my top group. Uh, below them, I'll also have lots of inclusion for the horse that Andrew likes, Be Your Best, who uh, we talked quite a bit about. And, you know, there'll be a, a last call on my ticket here or there. The two horses who I don't know what to do with from how to play them in inclusion-wise are are Meditate and uh, and the Five Pleasant Passage. Just not exactly sure what to do and how to use those two. They'll probably be on a pick four or pick five, but... You know, I'm not I'm not a defensive player. And so for a horse like Meditate, I'm better off just chucking that type of horse out of exotics and using the five or another 10 or 15 to one horse that I like a little better. So he won't be on many or she won't be that Philly Meditate, the two year old Philly on many of my exotics. But DZ, give us some uh, kind of like an overall view of how you may be looking to play the race. Yeah, you know, look. It's a very compelling competitive race on paper. You look at this and say, wow, this has to be a spread race. The problem with doing that is that 90% of the people that are going to be in these pools are going to be handling this race the same way. Dilutes um, your, your 15 to one shot. If everybody's does. spreads it out does. to get a yeah. 15 to one shot, especially on Friday when, you know, cave rock is probably a single for many people. So this ends up being a spread out race, you know, um, if you do like a horse, these are the races to take a 10, 12 to one stand. If you can find one, you know, if you, if you could be right about an opinion in this race where, you know, th- listen, I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying cave rock is going to lose. Um, what I'm saying is if you want to hit a monster score on breeders cup day and you know, th- there's different ways to approach this, you know, are you content just approaching this and, and, and betting and, and, you know, hoping you hit and whatever it is, it is. Or because of all the money in these pools and a lot of the potential for monster payouts on multi-race exotics, if you want to really make a score on Breeders' Cup Day, from my point of view, the best approach that you can do is find a really strong opinion to lean on in a race where everybody else is spreading and then spread against when everyone else is singling. everyone else is singling. Yep. And I'll, listen, I'll be the first one to tell you, connecting is few and far between when you do that. Mm-hmm. But when you do, it pays boxcars. It's approach and process. Those are the yeah. correct ways of, so, of putting it together. And don't yeah. forget, like, you can do that. And then along the way, 
be playing some of these big horses to win exactas tries and other stuff like these are the days where you don't necessarily have to only get caught up in your pick fours pick fives but when you're playing them approach is it's more than half the battle yeah so for me for me like the way i'm attacking the, these five races in terms of pick five pick fours and, and etc I personally happen to just have a very strong opinion in, in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. Uh, I think Chop Chop is a single. Uh, I love her in that spot, and that's how I'm going to be playing a lot of my my, my multi-race exotics, which has given me an opportunity to not necessarily have to lean on one horse here, but potentially to go two, three deep, and then potentially give me the opportunity to try to at least beat Cave Rock if I can and really blow this thing open, not necessarily using a ton of horses, but if I'm of the opinion that a horse like Forte or Blazing Sevens can beat Cave Rock, um, I can do exponentially better in the pick five pool than if Cave Rock were to win. And now my ticket in the middle part of that sequence is maybe just one by three by three instead of, you know, one by seven by what by one. Um, and and I can get a little bit more spread in maybe the sixth race and the 10th race if I so so choose. And I could do it in a way where maybe I could potentially beat a heavy favorite and take a stand in a race where others spread. I mean, I'm not saying that's 100% the way to approach this race, but if you can approach the sequence that way, um, maybe this is a good race to do that. And if I'm going to do that, the three that I'm going to use, uh, well, the two I'm going to use would be Be Your Best and, and G. Laurie. Not sure if I would go to a third, which would either be uh, Midnight Mile or or Spirit Gal or somebody like that, but I, my my top two are Be Your Best and NG Laurie, and they're kind of way ahead of everybody else right now. Andrew, put a bow on the juvenile Phillies turf. Sure. So I'll go a little bit of a different direction on the wagering front, and just remind you: look, it's okay to skip Breeders' Cup races where you do not have a strong opinion. Like everything else, pick your spots. And when you're right, make it count. Don't play a race just for the sake of playing a race, because then you'll look back and you'll see, oh, I was right about this strong opinion and this strong opinion and this strong opinion. And I lost $20 because you wind up chasing in races where you don't necessarily have that kind of strong opinion. In this particular race, I have a very strong opinion. I like be your best quite a bit. So for me, there will be tickets where I single be your best into cave rock and try to catch a price or two in some of the other legs. But that's just the way the sequence fell. If it was a case where I had no strong opinion in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, if we're recording this on Tuesday, if cave rock scratches tomorrow, fine. I'll just redivert some of the funds that I would have spent on a pick four or a pick five ticket onto my stronger opinions. Do not feel pressured to play every race. And I know there are ADW people out there that want to come through their screens and wring my chicken neck. You can skip races. It's okay. And on a two-day event where there are that many wagering opportunities, it's okay to pick your spots. That's race number eight, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies Turf. Make sure to give Andrew and to, uh, Darren a follow on social media this week. They have so much great content, and that's not the last time you're going to hear them. You're going to hear them in just a, a little bit talking about the Breeders' Cup distaff helping out. And uh, as we get set for the Saturday show, 
DZ, just a big thanks to you one more time And Andrew, a big thanks for carving out Some uh, some of your precious time On a busy, busy week And uh, I'll give these fellows a chance to uh, Put a bow on everything and plug uh, their stuff One more time after we finish up With the distaff, so don't go anywhere folks We continue along with Friday We're going to move from race number 8 The Juvenile Phillies Turf To race number 9, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile And uh Someone that DZ has talked many races with over the last couple of years Scott Shapiro joins us to talk about the Breeders' Cup Juvenile race number nine So don't go One anywhere the best in the business Stick Absolutely around. love Scotty There you go, uh, great guy So don't go anywhere folks, still plenty more to come Yeah, I was a big fan of the 12 in here I thought that race was so impressive Midnight Mile I'll have 12, 2, 11, 6 all over the place and some tens meditate. I'm not quite as cold on meditate, but 12, 10, or 12, 11, 2, 6 will be on most of my tickets here. Still wasn't sure what to do with both the, the three last call and the five. So they'll probably be in some way, shape, or form underneath spots, but lots of 12s, 2s, 11s, and 6s here for me in the juvenile Phillies turf. It's the final weekend of Santa Anita for this meet before racing will shift on over to Del Mar. Santa Anita will come back on December the 26th, but this weekend you still have two chances to win $1,000 for free. It doesn't cost you anything. All you have to do is go to the website pick'em.santaanita.com, and on Saturday you play in a contest where you answer 12 questions, and the winner gets $1,000. Totally free to enter. You don't have to deposit anything. You don't have to put a credit card. All you have to do is create an account and go to the website, pick'em.sananita.com. These are questions that are props that combine sports and horse racing. Some of the questions will be basic like who wins race number two? Pick the winner of race number two on Saturday at Santa Anita. Others will ask to pick the point spread of a particular college football game or the over-under in that game. There will be questions like which of these quarterbacks will throw for the most yards in this in their game on Saturday. Or there will be cross-sport questions like what number will be higher? The touchdown passes thrown for Caleb Williams or wins on the card for Jockey Juan Hernandez. Pick'em.sanita.com. Totally free to enter. Make sure to get involved. Let's take a look at the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Scott Shapiro joins us. Shappy helps us out getting a look at some of these horses that might be running in the Kentucky Derby next year. Cave Rock is the heavy favorite on the morning line. Let's dive into race number nine on the Friday card. We are to race nine on the Friday card. And this is uh, one of the, the most important races on the Breeders' Cup card every year. And I think one of the races that everybody really likes to watch because it's the juvenile. We get to talk about the horses that may be running in the Kentucky Derby next year, the future stars of our sport. It's race number nine on Friday. It's the Breeders' Cup juvenile. Joining me to talk about this one was the first ever guest on That's What She Said podcast. Very good friend of ours. He's not a future star in the sport of horse racing. He's a current star in the sport <laughs> of horse racing. Right now, you hear his voice all the time over at Churchill Downs. He does a fantastic job uh, doing work on the uh, broadcast over there. And you've traveled quite a bit the last year or so. We saw you over at uh, Fairgrounds doing some stuff. It's really wherever they need you. You'll, uh, you're a jack-of-all-trades now, my man. <laughs> Good to be back, Gino. I uh, I hold that uh, the gold medal for being uh, the first guest ever uh, in very high uh, regard here. I have it uh, 
up on my wall with some of my trophies from uh, we sent you the chocolate gold medal that you you know (laughs) one of those big ones yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, but uh yeah it's been a good run i got to go down to new orleans for the risen star week and also for the louisiana derby uh twin spires of course presents the uh, louisiana derby and hopefully uh some more traveling uh ahead uh, of this year you know in the winter and of course down new orleans before we uh reconvene in kentucky but uh First things first, man. I mean, we've got a big month here in Kentucky, of course, headlined by the uh, Breeders' Cup. And uh, excited to see the uh, future stars that maybe we'll see in the Derby next uh, May. Okay, well, let's talk Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Let's talk race number nine. We can go through most of the field in here, but just from a a conversation point and a starting point, you have to start with Cave Rock for Bob Baffert, who is three for three, undefeated. He's earned big speed figures in winning. He's won multiple grade ones. And... He has the progression that you like to see as far as distance is concerned. He went six and a half and then seven mile and a 16th. And in that American Pharaoh, he went quick early. He looked as if he was going to get challenged and he put away the others and kicked on. Now, my only concern with horses like this when it's a baffer is that he has been running against other Baffert horses. So when you like his speed is awesome and he's good. But it's a little different when you're running against your stable mates versus other horses who might actually be trying to beat you. Yeah, he is very hard to knock at face value. Uh, winning, you know, three straight races by five more than five lengths and and passing the two turn test last time out. But you bring up a good point because in that American Pharaoh National Treasure, who's in here, and a couple other of the Baffert stable mates look like the ones that had the speed to put pressure on Cave Rock, but. You know, Baffert's not silly. His riders aren't silly. They're not going to duel each other into defeat. That being said, you know, he, he's who, who he's goes really- with him here, though. Again, right? Is there really that many types of fast, fast speed horses in this race that can push him? Not really. I mean, I think he's speed and he's classy speed. You've got Hurricane J to the inside stretching out. Congruent who was inside as well as kind of a, a, a stalking type. And, and then you've got National Treasure, a stable made to the far outside with the blinkers going back on. I'd be very surprised if Cave Rock doesn't make the lead and make it uh, himself. He's just faster, it looks yeah. like, than these horses. But, you know, he's shipping out of town. Uh, it's his first time doing so, and it'll be the toughest field he's ever faced. So it's not really a matter of whether you think K-Rock has a big chance or not. I think anybody that says he doesn't have a good chance to win this race is fooling themselves. Absolutely. So when you have to swallow odds on, that's where it becomes a question. Yeah, at at the price. Because, see, you know, like a horse that's running in the, the juvenile turf sprint, Tyler's Tribe. He might have been a nuisance in this race for a cave rock because he's a really fast sprinter. We have no idea how good he is. He comes from Prairie Meadows, but it just on paper didn't seem like there are, like you said, Hurricane J from the rail. But if if I thought if I saw a bunch of these other really quick sprinters, I would say, okay, maybe he's vulnerable. I, I just don't know if he's vulnerable, but there are some other talented horses in here who deserve mentioning. If Cave Rock doesn't win this race. Who are some of the horses that you're looking at, Chap? Well, I like his stablemate to take a, a significant step forward here in National Treasure. Won a uh, very competitive maiden special weight at Del Mar at the tricky six and a half furlong distance. First out, a horse that clearly is bred to get two turns, but it, being able to win at one turn, always an encouraging thing, even when you're a Bob Baffert runner and, and win, you know, for a trainer that wins many first time starting and second time starting type races in Del Mar in the summer. And then I thought he ran huge in the American Pharaoh. He just ran into his stablemate, Cave Rock. Now, 
Interestingly, Baffert had the blinkers on National Treasure on debut, takes them off in that American Pharaoh, kind of speaking to your point, uh, Gino, about, you know, when you're not encountering your stable mates solely anymore that are your main competition, it's a little bit different. And I think it was done on purpose, you know, A, to benefit Cave Rock, but B, to benefit, not, you know, you don't want all your horses dueling in the No, it, make, it's, it makes sense, right? It does. You, I would do the same thing with my, I'm not going to tell my three horses to go run against each other. You... You got to try each race individually, right? And maybe this race now, like you're saying, the blinkers go back on. Now it's the Breeders' Cup. It's the championship. It's just every man for themselves. Right. And now there's, you know, it's going to be a little bit different. There's not a lot. There looked to be a lot of speed on paper in the American Pharaoh. And K-Rock was, you know, the, the Baffert that was the fastest early. And they weren't going to, you know, kill each other. But in this spot, you know, we talked about Hurricane J maybe to the inside. But I don't think, you know, normally the outside post in a mile and a 16th at Keeneland is not ideal, to say the least. But now with the blinkers gone back on, I think National Treasure is sitting second or third in this race in a good position. He took a real big step forward last time out, and I think he's got another big move in him. And I just continue to hear Baffert when interviewed about his, you know, two-year-olds. He's not, you know, they just want to talk about Cave Rock, the people that are interviewing him, because he's the star here and he's three for three. He's always making sure to slide National Treasure in. And I watched his work. I just think he's a horse on the come and he's going to be way bigger of a price than Cave Rock because he should be. He got handled by him last time, but I think he takes a step forward and gives his stablemate a big run. That's something in knowing Baffert, too, in your years out in Southern California. Like, he, he tips his hand with things yes. like that sometimes when he makes comments. You can just tell, and it, it's not always right, but you can just tell who he thinks highly of based on what he's saying. And he mentioned this horse, too. And I agree with you. I think he's a throw. He's a, a definite include in exotics if you're not just trying to single Cave Rock in here. And so after the two Baffers, I'd say like the next tier of horses would be Forte, who I mean hasn't done very much wrong. He's won three of his four. He just won the Grade One Breeders Futurity over this racetrack at Ke- at Keeneland, going long. And then you have Blazing Sevens and probably Verifying, who might be in that next tier of horses. Talk to us about any of those that you may like or or are against. Yeah, I think Forte goes right up in that top tier. You've got Cave Rock, you've got National Treasure, and I think Forte fits right in with that group. He, uh, you know, really surprised me in the hopeful, albeit over a a sloppy racetrack on one turn at Saratoga, easily handling uh, that field. It's come back to be okay. It includes Blazing Sevens, who we'll talk about in a second. But really coming from well off the pace and making a long, sustained move in the Breeders' Futurity, which I think from top to bottom was the deepest of the prep races. Loggins, we won't see, ran to the wire with him. A horse that came out of that race, two fills, had a bad trip and came back to win impressively uh, on Sunday at Churchill Downs in the street sense on our uh, opening day card there, kind of flattering the field to an extent. So I think Forte's proven form over this racetrack. He's got proven form gone two turns. He merits major respect. Blazing Sevens is a real tough read for me, Gino. He has never gone two turns, and his last two races have come over an off track, including that off-the-pace win in the slop in the Champagne. I think that was a pretty goofy racetrack that day. I thought he got a favorable voyage. I've got a little bit questions in terms of him getting two turns, but it's Chad Brown, it's Flavian Pratt, and uh, you know he should merit respect. Might get a little bit overlooked in here. His numbers aren't quite as big as some of the others in his t- the top two tiers. But and then I think verifying merits respect at ten to one. This is a son of Justify that's a I half. agree. Yeah. The Midnight Bizu. 
got hammered at the windows on debut and took it uh, and and uh, handled the field at Saratoga at three to five and then ran a good second over the off going when it was along the inside in a, in a pocket trip at, in the Champagne. You know, you don't got a lot to go off of here. He's never gone two turns. His one mile, one turn races over the slop. But uh, I think he's got a chance to pick up the pieces here under Joel. Yeah, I think so too. I agree. If he's like eight ish to one or above, I think that's good value for him to at least use in some of the exotics. And he feels like an upside horse to where, you know, if you were just playing him, I, I like that they got the mile race because it gives him some fitness. I'm not really going to hold it against him because it was in the slop, right? So he might be able to progress a little bit. It, it's sort of different than with Blazing Sevens, whose big win came in the slop. I don't know if I want to. I don't want a, a shorter price on him Based off of that big win In the slop so I think we kind of feel The same on those ones and then uh, Talk to us if you're playing uh, Any deeper is there are there any other bigger Prices that you think you could at least throw into Exotics or maybe use underneath Well Curly Jack is a horse That comes off a win in the Iroquois Which I thought was a very underwhelming Grade 3 event at Churchill yeah. It really did not pan out as we Had hoped with Damon's Mount and Echo again Being the two big favorites in there And both kind of battling early to an extent But just underwhelming as a whole And I just thought Curly Jack Was the recipient of a you know Taking advantage of an off the pace trip In a field that uh, didn't pan out The way it was uh, you know we I thought it w- looked like it was going to be a big race on paper so I'm against Curly Jack Lost Ark maybe you could make a case I think for that it. was the one yeah I think that was where I was going for just you know a price if you're looking for an underneath because I agreed with you I like the strength of the breeder's futurity in his his start like he got bumped and he had to take up early and he was way farther out of it than he'd ever been before that was just if you can put a line through that and maybe play him off the last and you know what he actually after all that traffic he still showed some, like he ran in some spots there. He didn't just pack it in. He ended up spl- like, you know, still finishing sixth in a field of 14 and finding ways to kind of get in between horses and move up. There might be a little something there for a horse at a big price. Yeah, I think so. And the Dan Marion Ravenwood has produced a lot of, uh, you know, some quality runners, including Idol, who could run all day and uh, took a little while to figure things out, but ended up winning the big cap, I believe, yep. uh, for Richard Baltus. So maybe that one underneath. And then I do think Hurricane Jay up against it, slow on numbers. But that last race at Keeneland was a very professional, easy win. Um, where he put away the uh, the odds-on favorite in their tap and formation for Wayne Catalano, who ran big on debut at Ellis and, and really put in a dud. But maybe if that you know this race turns out to be K-Rock on the front end and maybe Hurricane J and National Treasure just sitting there off the pace and there's not a yep. lot of running. We saw Keelan all fall. There were plenty of races where no one was making up very many lengths, to say the least, from off the pace over this racetrack. Maybe Hurricane Jay has it in him to uh, hang around, but uh, I do think it's a pretty top-heavy rendition, uh, rendition of this race. I think the second-tier horses are legitimate second-tier types. I do think towards the back of the field, the bigger prices are horses that are, uh, I wouldn't say without a chance, but would surprise me quite a bit. Yeah, I agree. I just don't, I don't find them, like you said, Curly Jack's race doesn't really fit all that well. Lost Ark would be the one I would throw in because... Seems to have some versatility we mentioned him And yeah maybe if the one Hurricane J can just sit close or maybe He gets a he catches a flyer And the two Bafferts are fine just sitting right off Of him and and then you know he can Hang around for a slice for third or fourth When they go by there could be a version of the Race like that but I think we hit Most of them a horse that no Forte Feels legit to me if you like him I think he's legitimate Like he 
He always seemed like he had that race well measured, but Loggins gave him a really, really big test, and he had to make a big, wide type of move that you may have to make in this race. And um, and verifying kind of looks like a wild card horse where has a little bit of upside. Like most cases in most years, they're going to have to be uh, on their A game to deal with the uh, the Bafferts in here, though, with uh, with both Cave Rock and, like you said, National Treasure. I don't think you can completely forget about him. Both of them have some real ability, and as far as the pace and the you know what it looks like on paper, the race really seems to go through them again, at least uh, up front. It sure does, and as much as Baffert's taking the blinkers off and or putting them back on, I'm sorry, on National Treasure, and we're talking about this race, you know, not being against all the, you know, stable mates, they're still not going to, you know, they're still very unlikely to really go at it early unless, for some reason, National Treasure just doesn't settle and there's really no choice from Johnny V. So there's no question the race goes through Cave Rock. I do merit, you know, have a ton of respect, I should say, for both Forte and National Treasure, so I'm not willing to go all in here. And I just see such a big chance for separation, although Cave Rock will be a tough customer. He's going to be the likeliest single in just about any sequence you can have on Future Stars Friday. And I'm not going to be willing to go completely down with the ship if for whatever reason a stable mate beats him or Forte takes another step forward. Yeah, I very much agree. The, the races around are so fun and challenging and competitive. If you could get a price in this race, too. Along with those, like those are the scores that we're talking about on Breeders' Cup Day. So uh, while I respect him, I don't think he's a cinch or a single. I don't think he's a chalk I would completely toss either. So it's you know it's you're gonna have to pick and choose how you want to wager exactly on this race. And I'm I'm imagining if you're playing pick fours and pick fives, the race is around. You're also going to have big prices too. What are some of the ways you love you like to play the uh, the races on Breeders' Cup Days, Scotty? Well, I mean uh, more. In the past, I've been really, you know, like most days, more most of my budget, pick threes, pick fours, and pick fives, depending on the sequences. But when I looked at the races this year and I wake up every day and look in the mirror and talk to myself and tell myself, <laughs> kind of kidding, but yeah. <laughs> I, don't put all your money into these pick fours and pick fives because there are, you know, yes, if you really think a horse like Cave Rock or other, you know, likely winners and, and short price horses are cinches and you can single them and then you think there's favorites that can be beat in the other races, then it, then it's fine to play. But you look back over the years and you see so many vertical wagers with favorites on top and prices underneath that are so lucrative, even with a, a you know a logical winner. And then on this card, I could definitely see three, four races and sequences being chalky that I don't want to miss out on having a horse I like, you know, as a price. Underneath. That runs well. Yeah. Right. There's nothing wrong with the horse. Like we're talking like a 15, 20 to one shot that runs well, that runs second or third. You want to be able to take advantage of them. Uh, there and nothing wrong with uh, some nice old fashioned win wagers throughout the card on horses that you you know you think are a little overvalued or uh, or a little too high up on the board. Where can we find some content? What uh, what are you going to be doing this week, Scotty? Because it's sort of weird this year with the Churchill and the Keeneland schedule, right? With Churchill running and then they're back at Keeneland. So when are we going to see you and uh, what kind of Breeders' Cup content are you going to have this year? Yeah, I can't say that I mind this. This is actually a best case scenario for Breeders' Cup. Normally, when the races are out in California, we we're running the St. Churchill, and we're doing a lot of races. You're right. This is right perfect before. for you, yeah. right? Yeah, you get yeah. to really watch the races the whole day. Yeah, yeah. So we'll be a church. I'll be a Churchill on the simulcast feed on Wednesday and Thursday. And then uh, Friday and Saturday, I'll have all my uh, my selections uh, like they are for Churchill and for Keeneland on the Twin Spires app and on TwinSpires.com under the Expert Picks videos where I give my top three for each race, about a minute 
videos. And then on Twitter, I'll be doing some live tweeting throughout the uh, week. But, yeah, I'm super psyched, man, to be able to kind of – I'm not going up to Keeneland. It'll be the first – time for a while that I haven't been at a breeder's cup or at another track. And I'm just looking forward to being able to concentrate a little more on my wagers and, and enjoy the day, but uh, plenty of content will be out there doing videos, doing some pods with, with you and some others, of course. And uh, yeah, just super excited for, you know, it's such a great time of year. I don't got to tell you as even, you know, a baseball and NBA fan on top of all the stuff we follow kind of together, but you got football, we've got great racing, you know, throughout the country. And of course the breeder's cup is uh, the, you know, the college basketball scrimmage is going on right now too they're starting in in the next it's week or so i mean non-stop. everything, everything is going uh, last weekend or it was on thursday a week ago it was the sports equinox where we had yeah. a pro football pro basketball pro baseball pro hockey game all on the same night on a thursday there was also uh college football on that day so Sensory overload, Scott. Uh, this next week or so is going to be a blast. I wish you the best of luck, buddy. It's always a pleasure talking with you. Good luck in all your plays. Good luck in uh, in uh, any football and college stuff you have coming this weekend. And uh, I hope that uh, I hope that you crush it, man. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Thanks, buddy. Always fun catching up, and uh, should be an outstanding week uh, of racing. And of course, uh, after this is over, follow along at Churchill Down. Should be a lot of great two year olds and a lot of good racing uh, throughout the fall meet in November. Make sure to give Scott a follow at ScottShap34 on Twitter. Thank you, buddy. Uh, Have a great week, and good luck with all your plays. You too, bud. Don't go anywhere, folks. The big day rolls on for Friday. We continue on with our next guest to talk more about the Friday Breeders' Cup Future Stars card. Going to be tough to beat Cave Rock, but maybe we can. Maybe we can beat Cave Rock. Can uh, National Treasure put a little pressure on him? Verifying was a horse who... I think is is very intriguing. Forte, I would have no problem including. And then Lost Ark would be my price horse that I would uh, would throw in the mix. So good luck in the juvenile. Big thanks to Scott Shapiro for helping us out there. Folks, as we get closer to the holiday season, you're going to be probably looking for gifts for some of your friends and your family. And there's always a few people who you're not exactly sure what to get. I've got a solution for you. A candle is a perfect gift. You can get them a couple different candles, a couple different scents, and when you do, let them know that you're not just getting them any candle. These are all natural. They are non-toxic, no carcinogens, no pollutants in these candles. They are healthier for you, and because of the wax that is used, they actually burn better. They're not going to cost you as much. You'll be able to, to save this candle a little bit longer, and... You won't have to worry about those toxins, those carcinogens, those pollutants. You have your kids around, you have your family around, you have your animals around. You don't want them breathing things in. Unfortunately, sometimes all of those people stink a little bit, right? So you need a candle to help soothe the scent around the house to maybe set the mood a little bit. And candles for all of your friends, all of your family, different scents for them for different seasons. Check them out. C-E-R-A candles.com sarahcandles.com and the promo code GINO will get you 10% off your purchase we finish things up with a Breeders Cup Juvenile Turf Angela Herman joins me to dive into this field of 14 it's the closeout race on the Friday Breeders Cup card the Breeders Cup Juvenile Turf it's the closeout race of the Breeders' Cup Friday. It's the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. They saved a very good one for, alas, it will be tough if you're alive in any of those 
exotics and you're trying to close things out and we are very lucky to have uh, our next guest Angela Herman join us Angela has uh, helped us out on this show many times before and you know Angela from over at Canterbury she does a fantastic job in front of and behind the camera um, helping out over at Canterbury fantastic handicapper and uh, someone who I love to talk racing with we can really dive in and go horse by horse and uh, have conversations that last quite a long time hopefully we can lead some of you in the right direction today Angela how you doing Hi, Gino. I'm doing well. Thank you. And thank you for uh, having me on to talk juvenile turf. Hitting yeah, two this... of my favorite kinds of races. Yeah, we get a big turf race. We uh, like fun betting race, lots of opportunities here, big field, and uh, plenty of like fun handicapping angles with a lot of these horses. So let's go through the field. We'll take a little peek at everyone in here. But before we do, before we do, Seemed like another really good year at Canterbury. How did everything go on your end? We got to see you a little bit more again this year. And I know you're doing stuff um, like behind the scenes and in front of the scenes too. It was a totally different summer from any other summer I've had. And it was by far my favorite. I've worked there 18 years and we just had so much fun as a team. It wasn't just one of us at any given time. It was me with Kevin or Paul or Jeff. Uh, Natalie up there this year was an excellent addition. And it was just a really good group. And I think that that good energy came out in our production. You saw a lot of numbers posted across the summer. It was an excellent year as far as that goes, too. And the big marquee nights that we had really went well and I think exceeded a lot of our expectations. So from start to finish, I would have to say one of the best summers I've ever had, and especially at Canterbury. That word that you said that it was exactly the one that I was going to hit was energy. I could feel a good energy just watching the product and people playing online and just really excited to play the product. And the broadcast was uh, was very, very good. You could really feel it. So a great work to everybody over there at Canterbury on another really good season. And uh, we look forward to always looking at that product. They treat the customers well, right? They, they low takeout. They want to treat their customers well. So it's really nice to see the customers responding. And uh, great job over there to all of the team at CBY. Let's talk some Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf now. Let's talk race number 10. Really important one. Uh, hopefully a lot of you out there are alive heading into this 10th and final on Friday. So we can uh, we can start from the inside and uh, and work our way out. And uh, from the inside, we will begin with Victoria Road. Angela, this guy comes in from uh, from France most recently. He also raced in Ireland, and he is sharp right now. Now, he doesn't have some of the overwhelming credentials, or he doesn't have wins or performances in some of the really big races, like some of the Euros we see in other races. But for a horse who's sharp and kind of stepping up, He's really done everything they've asked of him in his last three races. He's continued to improve, and he should be able to get a nice spot from the inside in here. I just, you know, the question we have to ask, how tough are the fields he's been beating? But this is kind of a fun spot for him to take a shot, and he he shouldn't be like a short price or anything in here. I don't think that he'll be too short a price. I, I don't know if he'll last an 8-1, to one, like the morning line. I would guess maybe 6-1, to one, maybe mm-hmm. just because of the guy saddling him. Yeah. But Victoria Road struck me as a horse, at least finishing off in his last few, as even a horse that might excel with a little bit more ground. Mm -hmm. It took him the entire stretch to get up in that last grade three that he won. But Victoria Road has done everything right, like you've said. He just hasn't wowed you in getting it done. So He has to work hard. 
right? And yeah. that may project to him being a little bit better going longer where it might be a little easier for him. I agree on that. It just he he was like one of those wild card horses where I don't really have any knocks on him recently. I just think I like a couple others more in here than him. Yeah, I, I would say he doesn't get the pulse racing, but he doesn't make you toss him out. He's just a very middle of the road sort of uh, horse. And I think at the number he's going to be, he might be a tad underlaid. Yeah, I agree. Because those connections almost are always going to be underlaid. And a conversation worth having that I've had in a few of these races now, you know, you see Aiden O'Brien, you see Ryan Moore. These are connections that get bet a whole lot. The last five years, eight for 120 in the U.S. in North America, uh, in the U.S. here in North America, one t- 120 starts and a 7% win percentage um, over a, a pretty good sample size now. And that's with a lot of horses that take a lot of money. Too. So don't just see the connections and just automatically think they were used in some of these races because they win so many races all over. They've been struggling a little bit the last five years or so uh, getting victories, especially in the Breeders' Cup races. Um, so that is Victoria Road. Right next door, we have a West Coast turf horse. And I think, Angela, a lot of the time the conversation is that the West Coast horses on the turf aren't facing as tough of company and the divisions aren't as deep. And I would very much agree with that assessment. I think there is one kind of equalizer and that's with horses that have speed because the West coast horses usually are a little bit quicker than, you know, the East coast horses. We see those turf races go so slow up front a lot of the times. So could a horse like packs a wallop because he has some tactical speed? Could, could he maybe compete with this group and, and put himself in a really good spot here? Well, yeah, there's something to be said for a horse that can make his own trip, and Pax Wallop can make his own trip. I didn't love the far inside draw for him. I thought the Pax Wallop with his tactical speed, even if he stays close, might not get more than just one or two opportunities to break out in a field that big. And if Pax Wallop is not in the exact right spot at the right time, it, it just might be a little bit tough on him. But Mike Smith knows him well, obviously knows what makes him tick and gets him in the right position with that tactical speed. So he's another one I can't toss out, but Paxawallop is a horse that I would demand a lot more than I'm going to get on him as far as price goes. And you're making a great point in that if he gets that cozy trip, which he very well could, he, he that's where he gets the jump and, and that's his advantage on this field. But if he gets shuffled back and all of a sudden he's like five lengths out of it, you know, down on the inside and he's not sitting really cozy, is he going to be able to close with some of these like deeper, really strong kickers, I don't know. He really has to take advantage of that tactical speed of his, and it would be better if he was probably like six and out, you know, just sort of like middle of the field and out. He'd probably be able to work his way over a little bit easier. Right, and I would guess that with Victoria Park drawing to his inside, then he's going to end up, or sorry, Victoria Road, he's going to end up on the inside, maybe in a, a tough spot to extricate himself from, with so much to his outside. I, I would prefer him drawn a little bit further out. Well, especially when you have a horse like Curly, uh, Larry, and Moe, who has to be just showing speed in this race, right? I mean, he's he's in here. He's a, a horse who was facing New York breads in Saratoga, and then he stretched out and he won going long on the turf at Keeneland. He got a front, uh, front-end trip that day where he cleared. I mean, he can't be in here to do anything else but go, right? You wouldn't think so. It hasn't been, it hasn't been a tactic switch at four starts. I would say maybe if he had two, then maybe you would try something different with him, you know, but he's already proven how he runs best and he broke his maiden in the style. I'd expect him to run on Friday. Now, Curly, Larry, and Mo being to the outside of Pax and Wallop, 
how hard do you think that they try to get the lead or do you think that they'll try to maybe try to get position and stay outside? That would be the only question I'd have with him. Yeah, I mean, if he could do that, that would be fantastic for, you know, for either of these horses to get to the outside of the either the other one. I think for Curly, Larry, and Mo, they might be more designed on getting it. And I think Packs of Wallop might be a little more patient, which unfortunately could be to his detriment. You know, if they sit back a little bit and don't try to get as caught up from the inside, I just, I don't want to be, if I was invested in Packs of Wallop and I saw him, you know, Sitting like fifth or back And more than like two or three lengths out of it Early I don't know if I'd love his chances So Yeah those two next to each other could really Impact the way the race shapes up Early on because maybe because They're right next to each other they Even even if it's just a little early playing cat And mouse to try to get position and they Go a little bit faster than they would like to Right and I was just going to say I think that These two are going to have a big impact Going into the first turn on what their Competition just behind them is going to do if they try to slow things down, everybody might have to go a little bit wide to go around them. It's going to be interesting to see what tactics they take. If they try to stack over, move over to the inside, or if they do try to make everybody go around them and slow things down. I'll be interested. The number four is Silver Knot. He'll be one of the major players in this race. He's a three to one lukewarm morning line favorite for Charles Appleby, who has been incredible in recent years. In um, I mean just overall He is one with 21 of his last 46 starters So he's 46% just With all of the horses and if you look at Graded stakes races it's right about that same thing. They're all in graded stakes races he's not really Running horses in like allowance races or anything else And incredible numbers They only come in here with very very live horses And this horse Silver Knot He is 3 for 5 And his 2 defeats came to the same Horse named Shaldine Who is 4 for 5 and has won four in a row. This is a group, a multiple group stakes winner. What's nice about Silver Knot is he also showed that he could get the mile in his most recent race on October the 8th. He was covered up behind the leaders in a compact field. He was just a couple lengths off, and then he angled into the clear, and he, he kicked nicely. It didn't feel like distance would be any issue for him. What do you think about Silver Knot in here? Well, it's nice that they give him the nod over Mysterious Knight, who would have been an even bigger favorite in this spot yes. for the same connections, but uh, the Solario was impressive enough for me, even though I didn't get as much out of the autumn. It was gutsy, but it was quick. And the way that he finished off in the Solario proved more of his versatility. And he's a very impressive and deserving favorite. I, I can't find too many holes in Silver Knot. And I know that they had said he was kind of a big baby after the Solario, that there was still some settling down to do upstairs for him. So with even further improvement in his wheelhouse, I think that Silver Knot is going to be tough. And I don't think I'll be going that deep. We'll talk more about the rest of the field. But as far as horizontals go, I'm just not going to go that deep in this group because I think that Silver Knot has not enough marks against him for me. There might be a ticket or two that I play, one of the bigger ones where I just single him to finish off uh, some of the exotics. And then you can really give yourself an opportunity to spread out in, you know, in a pick five or a pick four leading into that. Because in a race like this, on a card where there might be a couple other shorter prices earlier with a horse like a cave rock. I don't think he's going to play like a single for a lot of people in multi exotics in this type of race. And sometimes that's when you can get an overlay, you single in a spot where others won't, or you you just don't go all that deep here. And then you can spread out in the others. I, I just, I tried to, to also, I try to, 
trying to pick some holes in him, but I just really can't find many. He he looks really really nice on paper. The connections have been fantastic, you know, in these situations. And um, I liked his running style. Like you said, he's shown some versatility in his races, and he's he just checks a lot of boxes for me. So I don't uh, doesn't seem like we feel like he's a vulnerable favorite in this race at all. Yeah, and this agreeing thing isn't so fun, but we'll see. I know. <laughs> I know. We'll we'll get some dissension along the way. Let's get to uh to Battle of Normandy. He's the number five in here. He's twenty to one on the morning line. He won his debut, which you don't always see horses doing for Suge McGahee. He came back in his second start in the with anticipation. He missed by just a neck. He was very, very good that day. Also, it was also it was on a good turf course. He was kind of behind horses. He he could have won that race on October the 31st. Then the October 2nd races, there there was like just some some really weird turf at Aqueduct that day because it was very, very bad weather heading into that. And so some of these horses that prepped, even on the main track coming out of those races at Aqueduct, it's kind of hard to get a feel for them because the course and the main track was so bad. I think there were more horses that didn't like it than did. I'm not really going to hold that race against him. I can put a line through that. Can you make a case for Battle of Normandy in here? I am not a fan of Battle of Normandy, but I would be interested to see how he does return to a firm turf course, but it's not going to be a Saratoga turf course if this horse doesn't necessarily handle off going like he had in the Pilgrim. Who knows how he's going to handle Keeneland's grass? Not all horses do. So with that kind of question to him and with the regression that he's had in his three starts, I mean, maybe not from his maiden to the with anticipation, but to the Pilgrim, it was a huge step back. You know, it wasn't just a fumble. It was a big step back. So he's a no for me. That is Battle of Normandy. I don't have him uh, on any of my top, top tier. You know, if someone wanted to make cases for him in like third and fourth spots, Sure, I don't think he's like that far away from <clears throat> from hitting the board in here, but I would things would have to really break well for him. As uh, we get to the six, and the winner is who was your Bourbon winner last time out? He was actually behind Battle of Normandy on August the thirty first in the with anticipation, and then he won the Bourbon on October the ninth, and he was ninth of twelve. He was kind of tucked in from the outside, like two path. He didn't have to angle pretty wide. He was in the sixth path and a little bit green late, but it was an impressive win when you come from ninth in a field of 12 like that and you pass a ton of horses. Now, they went really fast that day. So the race did set up very, very well for him. And there were some others in that race that had trouble, as is the case in you know distance turf races. What do you think about in, and the winner is in here? I really like him in the spot, and I, I know that on paper, the bourbon looks a little bit more impressive than it probably actually was. And they sent like five course records that weekend or something like that. It was just a very, very quick course, mm-hmm. and and the winner is got a very cozy trip considering the post that he was dealt in that spot. But it, it does seem like he's one of the ones trending in the right direction, and I think he's the main hope, obviously, for the American horses. Not sure he'll be a fair value. I, I think five to one is. I don't think he'll go off with that. But and the winner is showed a lot in moving from the with anticipation, which was underwhelming, to very professional and dominant in the bourbon and looking like he will handle all the ground thrown his way in the future. So even if he doesn't win this particular race, and the winner is is the one that I'm looking forward to the most down the road. There are two horses out of the bourbon that I would probably have 
in in the next tier right behind silver knot and how i'm going to play the race and uh, i will use in the winner is and i'll also use a horse that was behind him in reckoning force who we'll talk uh, to uh, talk about in just a minute they were almost the same price in that race and they were towards the back in similar spots and and the winner is got a little more of a clear trip when reckoning force ran into trouble i think they both have a lot of ability i think the race is fine and i agree with you of the uh, the horses you know that were based in the us I don't really have very many knocks on and the winner is Joel should fit him very, very well with his running style and, and what we saw from him last time out. And, you know, in a big field like this, there should be an honest enough pace to to set up a run for him and the winner is. So, yeah, no, no real knocks. I, you know, five to one makes sense, I guess, because he is like the top of the, the U.S. horses. So that, that feels about right. I would probably want a little bit more if I was going to like bet him to win, but he's a hard... If you're using more than silver knot, I would have a hard time leaving him out of like spread tickets or exotics. Yeah, that's very fair. And actually, the horse that you mentioned that was behind him in a very, very troubled trip, Reckoning Force, is probably the other one that I would add in. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, there's other races to cover, but I guess of the U.S. preps, the bourbon is the one that I'm factoring in the most. The seven horse really good also comes out of that bourbon. He was third in that race. Prior to that, he was third in a race at Kentucky, broke his maiden at Saratoga, first time out of the box. Mike Maker and Luis Saez team up. This one's 30 to 1 on the uh, on the morning line. Do you think he has a shot if we like that bourbon race? Well, if you like the bourbon race, he's the one that probably got afforded the coziest trip out of it. I agree. didn't put in as much acceleration down the stretch. Mm-hmm. If you give me 50 to 1 on him, I'll use him underneath, something like that, but... I'm not going to play him on top of anything. So if he wins, I'm out. But the others, you just have more reason to play the others based on their trips. And like I said, he, he, that was a race where if you you got that type of a trip and couldn't finish better than third there, and now he's going to be in a lot tougher in a race where a couple of the horses, you know, around him might be able to get even better trips. It just, it doesn't spell very well uh, for really good. In my opinion, big price at 30 to 1. What do we do with the 8? I'm very busy. Debut winner on the turf at Saratoga. And then in his second start, he was in that Pilgrim race. That's sort of a hard one to get a feel for. I will say, he, you know, I know the the turf course was was yielding. And it was, I'm, I'm trying not to gauge anything out of that race. But then I'm countering myself because... I still thought he should have gone by like he still loomed up and I guess he just didn't like the course, but wow, he loomed up and he, you know, he could not go by and major dude open back up. So I'm very busy. These connections will take a ton of money, Chad Brown and Flavian Pratt. And this might be your second choice in the field. Uh, it might, it might be second or third choice, but he's one of the ones I'm against. Me too. Like you said, he was about one to five at what the three sixteenths, and then just couldn't finish the drill. It was a very eye-catching maiden special weight win. I give him credit for that. He did beat Reckoning Force. That one's gained more experience since that time. And whatever I'm very busy got out of the Pilgrim, not sure it's enough, but I I, I don't train him. I, he's in very capable hands, and I understand why he'll take the money that he does. But if I am price shopping in here for anything, it's not going to be him. So no. I just am going to leave him out of the mix. No, and I'm like just comparing horses. I like to do in in these Breeders' Cup races a lot of the time because you're going to get similar horses like at similar prices. We compare him to and the winner is like I'd much prefer and the winner is at the same pr- type of price that we're going to get. Definitely. 
Agreed. Let's, let's get to the nine who comes out of the grade three futurity for Graham Motion. Uh, Nagyarok, who won two in a row now, but he will try a mile for the first time. I really like his races visually, and I don't think Graham Motion, he doesn't throw horses in spots where they're completely overmatched. This horse is 20 to 1 on the morning line. I'd imagine he's going to be forwardly placed stretching out. I don't know if he can win this race, but I'm very intrigued in him as a horse moving forward. I think he's bred really nicely. He's in good hands. He he has some like natural early speed. How far can he go? How good is he? But you know, I'm I might be okay with throwing him in some exotics in the bottom in like in the middle of your tickets and he's definitely a horse I'm going to keep an eye on for, you know, moving uh, moving forward into next year. I'm not interested in him in this spot, but I I could understand how you would get excited for this horse with his versatility and with the possibility that he's further along than some more talented horses that would be put into the same spots that he would, some of the grade threes, the allowances, things like that. Uh, I'm just not interested in him taking this step forward in competition and stretching out all at the same time and drawing the nine post which I don't think should hamper him too much, but I would prefer to see him further inside. Like you said, if he's going to be forwardly placed, I I, I didn't like the futurity overall. I, I don't know if I'm going to use anybody from there. Just the way that they all stacked up at the finish didn't really look like anybody was dying to go a mile. And so I'm probably not going to use anybody from it. That is the number nine as we move along to Web Slinger. And on September the 17th in that uh, Monmouth Park Race that we saw Web Singer in There was a heavy favorite in that race named Oxymore and this Guy ran right past him Which was was pretty impressive he was a winner Of that race at 14 to 1 and that was Web Slinger's first start going Along on the turf now Do you think that Monmouth race Can stack up and compare with with This field do you have Web Slinger anywhere in the mix On competition he's a cut below But he can pass horses and he Can handle a mile and Webslinger is one that I would use underneath because he's going to be a bomb. And you know that Webslinger is going to be coming late and will go, you know, he'll probably do more from off the pace than is asked of him than maybe some of his sprinting competition, things like that. Uh, he was he was a question mark for me just because of that Monmouth race, but he showed a lot in there. And for the price he'll be, I think he's worth throwing in. Yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind him either in the bottom. Or if you're using this race as a spread out race and you are looking for some crazy prices, because you know, some of the times, like if we're just looking at horses off of figures and they don't have a whole lot of form, like one race going long on the turf that visually was good and maybe on figures and stuff just stacks up a little low. I'm okay to give a horse like that another shot with some upside and a two like this where they can, you know, continue to take big strides. You'll need to take another, you know, a little bit of gradual improvement here, but you you could do worse than a 20 to one shot in including this guy in, in some of your exotics. But I think we both feel a little more interested in a 20 to one shot right next door, the 11 reckoning force. He, you know, he hadn't really done much wrong in his first few races. He kind of had a, a, a couple toughish trips. He was behind really good and I'm very busy. Then he put it all together at Kentucky Downs, and he broke his maiden in the uh, the juvenile in a, a nice big stakes race. In on October the 9th at Keeneland, he was only four to one in the Bourbon. The winner uh, that day and the winner is was four to one, also just like cents on the dollar less than him, and in a pretty wide open betting race. And Reckoning Force hopped at the start. He was last inside. He was about nine lengths off. 
But you could tell he was traveling pretty well He had absolutely nowhere to go on the inside Then he tries to angle to the all the way off But he gets caught again in traffic It was just one of those no chance trips He never got a chance to run Now they'll put the blinkers on him He's quirky He's had some issues But he's going to be a really big price And he can unlaunch a rally There's some talent there He's you know, he's just kind of his own worst enemy He's like a young dude you know, like that's just like he's a young guy who's like Im- immature and like just kind of you identify you know? with reckoning. Forward. I was like, I know this, yeah. I know this. I looked, I've seen this in the mirror before. You know, so uh, <laughs> talk to us about reckoning force. I look at you now that the blinkers are on. Uh, I don't think he's going to be twenty to one. I think this is this is going to be the wise guy sort of horse. I I would guess Probably, maybe yeah. twelve. I think that Reckoning Force is going to take money. And people saw. It looked like he had a mitt full of horse and absolutely nowhere to go. But he would have at least, I think, cracked the top four in the bourbon with some sort of clear run through. And you will get at least a better price. I I don't yeah, I don't think you're going to get much better than 12, 15 to 1. But Gaff Leone's going to take him over. I thought Rosario maybe hit a little bit of a slump at that time. So maybe mm-hmm. Reckoning Force is just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And he'll be a little bit closer with the blinkers on so we can move over and save some ground. There's just a lot to like about him. And I think that for a long shot to add into any horizontals, he would definitely be the one for me. I don't love the draw, but like I said, with the blinkers, I think that he'll be able to move himself over just a little bit going into the first turn and probably won't get forced too wide. Yeah, and I agree with you. If it's like 12 plus, that's fine. And that's still probably fair value for the draw and for some of the... The questions that we have about him that are built in You don't want to take like I wouldn't want to take like eight or less You know, I the single digit Once we start to get down there Because he does still have to answer some questions, right? We, we do still wonder about him Maybe being a little bit quirky And still needing to grow up a little bit And maybe having to focus with the blinkers coming on So you, I would just make sure If you like him, demand a little bit of value Double digits plus kind of feels right for him I would agree with that, and I think that he'll be in the lower lower teams. I think that's fair. Let's get to the 12, Mo Stash, who was a runner-up in the Indian summer last time out at Keeneland. Mo Stash has raced three times. He broke his maiden in his career debut, but in all three of his starts, he's been sprinting. His longest race to date was going six and a half at Kentucky in the second start when he faded after flashing some early speed in there, finishing fourth, beating three lengths. Rafael Bejarano and uh, Victoria Oliver team up. Do you like Mo Stash in here? Got a little goofy last time in the Indian summer, didn't he? Yes. I mean, he ran, yeah, he ran fine, but nobody was really closing in too hard in that race. And I think that Mo Stash just kind of picked up more tired horses than outfinished horses. And this is another one trying two turns for the first time. Mo Stash just has more stuff working against him than I'm willing to take a gamble on. If he comes in with a breakout performance, fine, but I still think there's there's more down the road for Mostache, and maybe now is not the time for him to uh, break into two-turn racing and come out ahead. I agree. I, he's going to have to prove it to me going longer in here. Um, Mostache at 20 to 1. He's right next door, the number 13 in our field of 14. That is Major Dude. Major Dude tried the turf for the first time on October the 2nd, and it's it's tough to get a feel for him because in his only turf race, he won. It was in the Pilgrim. It was in a grade two race against, you know, 10 others. So a, a solid size field. But 
the racetrack and that turf course was really, really boggy and yielding and probably not comparable to something that he's going to face at Keeneland. Now, it's kind of hard to knock him for that because that's all that he's known. That's the only time he's been on the turf. It's not like he has three turf wins and they're all on yielding turf courses and his other races on the grass that are on different turf courses are bad. So these are the types of horses that are kind of tough. It sort of reminds me of like a horse in their first start that has a poor beginning and breaks bad. That doesn't mean they're a stone cold closer or they don't have speed. You just got to kind of figure out and project where are they going to be next time out. How good is this horse on the turf? Do you think it was more of like him getting a trip? On a turf course that others didn't like Or do you think this is a horse who really fits in here I think he got an excellent trip That day and he dug in Credit to him for finishing the way that he did He was very game in that But he didn't necessarily fit in with the upper crust On the tur- on the dirt Taking a chance on the turf worked out for them He caught Todd Pletcher at 10 to 1 So yeah, credit if you had him It doesn't happen very often But uh, Major Dude I think surprised a lot of people that day And he would surprise me If he repeated and did it considering how different the conditions are going to be and how poorly he drew. Don't they just have to gun, gun, gun out of the gate with him? Otherwise, Major Dude is going to be stuck so wide going into his first turn out of position to where he wants to be. Yeah, and he's just going to be, like, if it's this price-ish or less because of the connections, I, I just would want a little bit more than him to want to entice him into some of my exotics. And, yeah, I'm not really all that high on Major Dude. As we get ready to round out the field with the 14 Gaslight Dancer And I mentioned that I I was a little higher on uh, the winner of the Futurity And I don't know if he's a win candidate in here, maybe a, a pace factor I did not like Gaslight Dancer's race I just thought it was it was very disappointing and, and it was a horse that had every opportunity um, No excuses, and now he's going to try longer for the first time so he wasn't a horse that it was going to be on my radar And with the outside draw now It feels like there's only one way for him to go, right? Right, and it pushes the hand of the horse immediately next to him And the two inside But if he can't get over from the 14 it, There's just so few scenarios where I can't picture him Being at least four wide on the first turn Unless he absolutely outbreaks everybody He's in for a rough day Especially yeah. trying all the additional ground And a very good point on how Both the 12 and the 13 are probably going to want to be forwardly placed And when the horse outside of you is going fast It quickens you up And now all three of those horses Might have to go a little bit faster Because they're drawn next to each other With some of that positional and tactical speed So yeah we could we could see this horse Just being marooned out there Unfortunately Gaslight Dancer And when he got a much softer trip He wasn't able to get the job done So I'm not as high on him in here But uh, as we Get through this field of 14 We circle back to Silver Knot as the horse to beat And it felt like one that we were both Pretty high on in here The 6 and the winner is Is one that's going to be on my tickets And then the price horse that we both kind of liked Was Reckoning Force Talk to us about anything else Or uh, you know, give us uh, some final thoughts And put a bow on this one Well you actually really covered my thoughts I think that if I'm going to make a win bet in here I'm going to wait and see where I can get And the winner is at I think that he stands apart for me from the American horses. And if he's not a fair price, I'm going to have to just stick with uh, verticals rather than any sort of win bet, which is my preferred method. But you so really have a lot of the bases. That's the way you play on these uh, Breeders' Cup days. What are, Do you have like a an approach going in or is it just more like race by race and looking at the prices? 
I'll play some horizontals, but yeah, I, in trying to gauge fair value, it's more win bets, exactos, some verticals for me. And in this race, especially, if I can get a fair price on this fix, I think that that would be the only way to go for me. And the winner is in race number 10, the juvenile turf as a possible price horse there. And uh, and yeah, we both thought the four was, was going to be really tough. Maybe we can get double digits on uh, the number 11 reckoning force who had some trouble last time out. Angela, it's always such a, a pleasure to talk racing with you. We uh, we're always able to dive in and go horse by horse all the way through. I know you uh, win or lose, you always put in the work. And that's why I appreciate the conversations with you. And you're someone who, when I flip on Canterbury and if I'm trying to put together a ticket and I am rushing through, or maybe I haven't had the chance to look, or maybe there's a race where I really need some help. I will always look to how you're playing and who you're playing because I, I trust the work that you put in. It's, it's always a uh, really, really well done. Well, thank you back at you. And it's always an interesting conversation. I'm glad we could keep it under two hours this time. Well, done. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we just cracked over the, the half hour mark. So um, hopefully <laughs> we were able to send a few of you in the right direction and uh, get you a, a winner or two in this breeders cup juvenile turf. Good luck to everyone out there. Angela, we'll be following along with you. Um, as I mentioned early on, you did a really great job again this year over at Canterbury. We can follow Angela on Twitter at Angela Herman 15. And she's always posting uh, Canterbury stuff, giving you great information when they're running live over there. And uh, you'll get some other stuff here and there uh, for a little, little bit here and there. Sometimes you're active I'm not on the social most media. Active Twitter, not always. It, de- not it depends. Always. You, you maybe you'll get a Vikings thing here and there every now and then, or we'll get like a. <laughs> which I gotta say, you know what? In a in a weird NFL season when a lot of teams are kind of struggling, they're winning games, and, and that's that's a lot more than most teams are doing right now. They're checking a lot of boxes, and it's they're not dealing with a a, a tough Aaron Rodgers Green Bay team this year. It, it could be a good year for your Vikes. At least divisionally Boy, we're in a real tough one Not, but uh, they've got through the soft part of their schedule This is where things are really going to sort themselves out As far as the Vikings But big trade, we'll see Yeah, 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 I know They just keep finding a way It's nice when you have a new coaching staff And you start well Because then a lot of the guys buy in You know, you see some of the winning immediately And then some of the players like respond to what the coaches are telling them because they're seeing it it work on the field. So yeah, they a uh, good start to the year for the Vikes. Angela, thank you again so much. Uh, it's a pleasure, and we'll uh, we'll have to get you back again uh, to talk real soon. Maybe we'll uh, we'll talk a day when uh, Santa Anita has the uh, the meet starting up in uh, right after Christmas. I know you love to look at the races at Santa Anita there too, so we can uh, we can handicap a big stakes weekend there one time. I do. Yeah, let's talk Cali anytime. Thanks for having me on. Make sure to give Angela a follow. Check out all the great work that she does there covering the races at Canterbury. And don't go anywhere, folks. We'll put a bow on the Friday Breeders' Cup Juvenile card. Lots of similarities in there for me and Angela. I guess the one difference is the horse that I probably would give more of a of a shot to than she would would be the two packs of wallop, who I maybe he can, you know, just show some of that speed and work out a trip. I I don't love the inside draw either. I would like him more if he was in the middle of the field, but I probably will include him in some of, of the exotics if I'm using more than the four, who's uh, who's probably going to be a single on one or two tickets because I think this horse does stand out, silver not, 
in here. We'll also include the uh, the two packs of Wallop who we mentioned. I like the 11 Reckoning Force quite a bit coming out of that race with the 6 and the winner is. Both of them come out of there. Both of them could be very, very live. And um, yeah, I mean, if you're looking for another price or two, maybe it would be the 9 as a big price or maybe the one who won't be a massive price but a little bit of value in there. To close out the Friday Breeders' Cup card, it's the Future Stars card, all the juvenile races on Friday. Big thank you to Barry Spears and Matt DeSantis for helping us out with the juvenile turf sprint. Thanks to Sarah L. Baldwi for helping us with the juvenile fillies. Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali talked juvenile fillies turf. And Scott Shapiro helped us with the Breeders' Cup juvenile. Angela Herman with the juvenile turf. You'll actually hear Barry and Matt back again. They discuss the Breeders' Cup Classic, and you'll hear Andrew and Darren back again. They discuss the Breeders' Cup Distaff. So this is just your Friday Breeders' Cup show. In the next few days, you'll have a ton of content coming up for me. You can actually go right now and check out the Saturday shows. They're already up. So everything, all the Breeders' Cup Saturday races, completely previewed, different guests. We have two different shows. So we have a Breeders' Cup Saturday Part 1. That goes... From race 3, the Philly and Mare Sprint, all the way to race 9, the Distaff. But we have two different conversations about the Distaff. So on part 2, we actually pick up with the Distaff. Part 2, Breeders' Cup Saturday show, will be races 9, 10, and 11. But we have uh, a couple different chats about the Classic. So you will get swamped with content. We just wanted to give you as much as possible to help you out, to help you make all of your wagers this weekend. And a big thank you to all the great guests who help us out throughout these shows. So we move from Friday to Saturday. And on our next episode, it's going to be Saturday Breeders' Cup Preview. We'll also have a another episode of That's What G Said coming out this week where we get into the NFL previews for Week 9, college football previews for Week 10, and we'll talk some wrestling and get all caught up on everything going on in the world of wrestling. So much racing, so much going on this week. Thanks for hanging out with us here. That's what G said.